Hey, someone looks sharp. Thank you, man. You're looking sharp too. Oh yeah, you can see how I look like. <laughs> how was your um you're just getting back from some place, right? Yeah, I've been traveling some villages in India lately and I just got back a couple of days ago. Mm -hmm. Interesting experience, although the weather is way too hot right now. How hot is it? Fahrenheit only. I don't speak retard, <laughs> sorry. Okay, what's the Celsius? I'll convert it. I don't know. It just felt too hot. I didn't check the Celsius. Maybe 28 or something. 28-ish. So that would be 82 Fahrenheit. That's not too bad. Um, at least by my standards. I, I live in the Sunshine State. Uh, and here, recently, it's been getting up to 96 sometimes. Wait, let me check. Let me check. Hold up. Let me check what the temperature was. Do you think it could have been 35 Celsius? Could very well have been. It was just too hot, especially in the day. Mm -hmm. like you would step out and you would feel the burn. Okay, so about 33, 34. Okay, see, that when you say like something's hot, like that's the range that I'll I'll think. So do you um do you like walk around with a cap on or anything, or are you just getting nah, your man. sun? Okay. No, I don't. I don't. The, the trick is to only go out in the morning or in the evening, and in the afternoon just stay in your home, mm -hmm. or you know travel somewhere in your car or something. It's not a good idea to expose yourself to such strong sun mm -hmm. because of the simple reason that it's so hot. It's it's not good for your skin, right? Your skin, what's the word for it? I don't know the English word, but it kind of shrivels up. Sunburn? Not exactly a sunburn, but it just shrivels up a bit. Like it's, If it's too hot, too sunny, it kind of becomes red and not exactly burned, but irritated. Okay. And then if you're traveling, you can't have fun in that kind of, you know, skin condition. Right. See, man, I have this weird skin condition where I think it's called vitiligo, where if I get too much sun, only certain parts of my body gets dark while the other parts remain white. So it looks like I have some sort of patches that's going on. So um, I normally go for walks in the morning, but I have to go in this certain time where it's not too much sun I, I still need sun so i feel good for the day but when it's too much like my face gets all patchy looking hmm interesting do you have a picture i'm curious um i could get you a pic well no actually i probably wouldn't take a picture in that condition <laughs> <laughs> i probably See, isn't run away from the cameras by then a lot of people do that right you know when say someone's really fat they mm -hmm. don't take a lot of pictures of themselves, but let's say they join the gym and they lose a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. Now they want to see, okay, what did I used to look like? And they find they have no pictures to compare with. Oh yeah, dude. Especially if you're, you know, if you're, if you haven't been posting on social media or let's say you're starting up a dating app, you're like, I'm definitely not posting pictures of me looking like this. So you go back in the archives and you're getting one of those pictures from when you used to go to the gym <laughs> to post on your present day social media. <laughs> dude, dude, I knew this one guy who let himself go 
like he went from being the stud into getting very very tubby like he didn't go to the gym at all big belly and anytime we would go out he would always wear a jacket i'm like dude it's it's 90 degrees right now why are you wearing a jacket for and he's like oh uh, it's fashionable but what he was really doing was he was trying to hide his belly so Mm -hmm. when you're uh, like not comfortable with how you look it it doesn't just affect your look. There's other stuff that it impacts where you're willing to wear a jacket in 90 degree weather. Hey, I wish more fat people wore jackets in 90 degree weather, man. <laughs> I don't want to see that shit. <laughs> Do you, did you ever get body shamed before? Not particularly, although there was a phase right before puberty where I was fat but not exactly body shaming except for the fact that i kind of body shamed myself into like becoming more fit Mm -hmm. because i went to the gym for the first time when i was 16 and i couldn't do a single push-up or a pull-up now imagine a 16 year old who can't do a push-up so i was like whoa holy shit so in my mind you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I remember I couldn't do at least a couple. Like Maybe I could do two or three, but the fourth one I would be struggling or something. Mm-hmm. But I remember having the shocking realization that I'm not nearly as fit as I thought. And uh, yeah, so for, for an entire year or two, I had this thing in my head where, okay, I'm not up to par physically, so I need to hit the gym, hit the gym, hit the gym. And I was super serious about it. I would go to the gym regularly. Of course, this was a time where, you know, I was too young to actually care about diet and I would eat whatever I felt like. This was back in junior college, so it was not a clean diet, but I was going to the gym. And, you know, when you go to the gym, you become body conscious really fast, right? You look, you, you look at yourself in the mirror every day, mm-hmm. especially at 16, like, are my biceps coming or not, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of body shamed myself, to be honest with you, and it worked incredibly well. Where a lot of people are doing affirmations in the morning, you're just (laughs) shaming yourself in the morning. (laughs) You know, I was very dubious about the whole affirmation shit, but I tried it out. It really does work. Talk about that. Uh, What made you uh, realize that it works for you? I just gave it a shot. I just gave, I just was like, I tried a couple of things. I tried that gratitude thing people do where they write in a journal. Mm-hmm. And I tried the affirmations and a bunch of other things that people keep on talking about. I figured, okay, if it works, it's good. If it doesn't, I'll just stop. And my great discovery was that the affirmation stuff really makes a difference, especially if your affirmations are something that you really need to hear at that point of time. Mm-hmm. For example, one of my affirmations is that God gives all things to industry. And this is a quote from Benjamin Franklin. And sometimes I'm feeling lazy in the morning. You know, I just, I should sleep a bit more or not do anything today or something like that. And then I'll read my affirmation that God gives all things to industry. So I should be more industrious. So I should work today instead of, you know, lazing around. Hmm. So do you write them out in the morning or do you verbally state it? I verbally state it. Okay. And how long have you been doing this for? Couple of years, I would say, like maybe 2000 and 
18 or 17 i don't know okay how about you do you have any affirmations i did for a while man i mean 2019 i was hearing about the affirmations uh like something about 2019 there was so much content on law of attraction manifestation <laughs> and like i kid you not it was just like left and right and i was i was like man anytime i open instagram i'm hearing all this stuff about affirmations let me give it a try so i write this huge list of affirmations and every morning i was like over here reciting it uh it was good don't get me wrong but for me like it, it worked to a certain extent, but I'm more of a ritual guy where I like to like just get activity in the morning and I'll think about a certain affirmation, but I don't say it like I did before because it was getting a little too mechanical for me. And um, I, I can't say that I use it as much to give too much advice regarding it. But does it work? Yeah, I would say it works. There's certain people that that are like, oh, affirmations are bullshit. I'm like, how long did you try it? Like two days or so. I'm like, man, you're not going to get anything in two days. You got to actually try it and then offer an opinion on it. Man, that's like people who say, you know, meditation is bullshit. And they meditated a grand total of 10 minutes yesterday. <laughs> like, of course you think it's bullshit, bro. Dude, a lot of people in the West, uh, they think meditation is bullshit. They'll be like, oh, I go to the gym. Why would I meditate for have you heard that? Yeah, I've heard of that, but it's not true. It's not true because I also go to the gym and I'm incredibly fit compared to the average person. But meditation made a real difference in my life. Mm. There, I mean, so many people will speak about certain things without trying it fully. That's why you always have to be somewhat aware of critics as well. Because a lot of critics, like they'll be like, oh, don't even read that book. That book is a waste of time. I'm like, uh, how many, how much did you read? Oh, I just uh, started it and I didn't like it. I'm like, well, you have a different philosophy regarding that, right? Where you don't finish books. I agree and disagree with that in the sense that sometimes you can just tell up front, this is bullshit. For example, recently I was reading this book called, well, let me get the books. It's, the name is... It was about tuberculosis. So, yeah, it's called Phantom Plague by this chick called Vidya Krishnan. And this book is supposed to be the history of tuberculosis. But the book is crap. I read the first one third. And the book is essentially, you know, one of those books which is like maybe a 30-page essay. And the author makes it a 250-page book. And the mm. author has this extreme political ideology that they're throwing on everything so any tuberculosis patient is because they're either low caste or black or poor or whatever and you know the indian government is crap and everyone's living in a ghetto and hinduism sucks and men are the problem because they're splitting everywhere like that's it it's just it's just not a fair assessment you know in the book where it's just the author's ideology interfering with her pursuit of truth and after reading like i read out of the 250 page book i read the first 90 pages and those 90 pages themselves were a long struggle and i'm willing to bet that the rest of the 160 pages are similar bullshit too 
Like this author pages. seems to think that the reason people have tuberculosis is that, you know, high caste people are oppressing low caste people, and that's why low caste people are living in some dump and they have tuberculosis. When that's not particularly true, right? Right. So this book is essentially the author's perception of things when seen through her ideological lenses. And once you sense that, you can just scrap the book. Mm. 90 pages is a good amount to read, though. I was initially talking about, like, the first 10 pages, and you're just like, nope, not for me. But that's a very random book to get curious about, tuberculosis. I was at the airport, man, and I was just flying back. I had a couple of hours in a flight, so I just bought this book. Hoping it would be good, but it was In wasn't. the airport? You bought it in the yeah. airport? Yeah, I buy books at the airport. Really? I've never done that before. It makes flying a bit of a better experience because otherwise you're just sitting there wasting time. So if your flight is like a couple of hours, you can read a lot. But, mm. you know, my reading speed is actually quite slow compared to most people. Like, for example, if you take a book that is nonfiction... I might read one page in five minutes. So that's like 12 pages an hour, which is considerably slow compared to at least some of my family members who can read at maybe 30 pages an hour. So, yeah, you know, if you're sitting maybe three, four hours in a plane, you can easily finish 40, 50 pages. Wait, that's not a fair assessment. I think I miscounted. I can read for some books, maybe even 25 pages an hour. For this book, I was reading 25 pages an hour because I was in the flight for about two hours and I read 50 pages. What's the longest you've ever been in a plane for? Do you remember that? Uh, now, now, see, that, that docks is my location, right? A bit. <laughs> oh, does it? Yeah, actually, that's true. Man, okay, well, you don't have to answer that, but do you like flying? I love flying. I hate flying. I'll do it because I have to get to the destination. But the actual process of, you know, getting checked in, taking off your shoes, being in an actual plane. Dude, there was this one time. I have this. Did I ever tell you about the Hawaii story? No, but first tell me, why would you take off your shoes? Well, no, you have to, like, you know, when you're getting checked in, you have to, like, pass the metal detector area. You have to take off your belt, your shoes, all of that. You don't have to do that? No. Oh, well, we have to do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and i hate doing that so much where you have to get like a bunch of like these little baskets and you have to take off your uh, watch your bracelet your belt a chapstick watch oh, i already said watch phone all of that and you gotta put it in this damn basket you gotta take off your shoes and there's a herd of people like behind you watching you waiting like oh come on man speed it up and then you, you know, go in the metal detector and then it rings off and it's like, wait a minute. So you don't have to do any of that? No, man. None of that bullshit. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's like standard practice for a lot of places. It's not a, do you at least know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I was just mocking your system because 9-11 made you guys to do that, right? So you guys don't have, like, how, how do you guys check to make sure no one's carrying any weapons. Um, they have this device where they, you know, make that device 
touch your body in a way and it beeps if there's metal. It's a handheld metal detector, but you don't have to remove your shoes. Oh, that's man, that's rudimentary, man. I see it's I do see that, but I see that more so for like if we're taking a bus from point A to point B, we see that little handheld one. But if it's a you guys plane, have right? checking for a bus, that's crazy. Yeah, dude, because buses attract the weirdos. The buses actually should have those big ones. Uh, buses and trains, or trains, like anyone can get a ticket for a train. It costs twenty bucks, so it attracts a lot of like people that are a little strange at times. I'm like, man, I really wish that guy went through the metal detector a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> I just once, like at least five times, man. <laughs> so in India, they don't do any checking for buses and for trains, and nothing has happened so far. You know, except for some terrorist attacks, but that was a long time ago, maybe ten years back. Um, regarding flights, nothing has happened so far, right? So it seems a bit crazy. I mean, what are you going to put in your shoes, man? Maybe dude, some drugs dude, or something. I don't know, dude. You will be surprised, man. That's people get crafty especially criminals no here's the thing I, i don't mind the whole process like i get why they do what they do me though i hate doing it and other than that like actually being in a plane ride i don't know how people sleep in the plane it doesn't matter if it's a two hour plane ride or a 15 hour plane ride i can't sleep it's just the way that my body is structured uh i can't sleep in a plane You so, must be flying in the cheapest tickets. It's cheapest tickets, but there were a few times I've been on first class. Still, I, I can't fly. Uh, I can't sleep on a plane. Yeah, me neither, man. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you why I like flying. It's because when I was a kid, you know, my family would make like fifty, sixty bucks, you know, dollars a month for all of us, and this was extended family, so there were more people than just me, my parents, and everyone else. And I would wonder what it would be like to ever sit in a plane. So for me, there's always a childhood wonder of a plane that hasn't gone away. Mm, so I've always like the liked the feeling of, yeah, I've always liked the feeling of being at an airport and sitting in a plane, and the plane is taking off, and it just feels good to me. I don't know why. No, I I could see that. I mean, especially the context that you gave. It's because it it connects with your inner child. Yeah, fair enough. I, but I, when I was a kid, like I, I always wondered what it would be like, and I would like you know hear descriptions from my richer friends. They would tell me like where the plane flies, like this, 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 and you experience that. So I've always been fond of flying, as opposed to trains. See, I like the trains more. See, I don't like trains; they're too crowded. Okay, well, the trains here are. Empty, <laughs> but 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 then again, it's because if you're in Florida, people are like, "Wait, there's trains," <laughs> so no one knows it. Um, I don't know how they're still in business, but yeah, I mean, that's another reason I like trains because it's empty. It feels like you own the whole spot. Um, but I completely get your perspective with why you like to um, ride planes. Uh, I would say for me though, planes are a lot like seeing snow. When I was a kid, I was like, "Man, I can't wait to see snow. Like something about snow is so magical." And then there was a period I was living in Virginia where it was snowing all the time. And when it snows, man, it's nice. Like the first couple of 
minutes to the first day or two. But later on, it starts to get a little bit annoying. You're like, man, like, I want this thing to melt away already. <laughs> like, the, the glamour, <laughs> yeah, the glamour starts to melt away. So, <laughs> get it, melt away. But yeah, so for me, flying is a lot like seeing the snow nowadays. The first few times I flew, I'm like, wow, this is so awesome. But after the tenth plus time, I'm like, all right, just get me from point A to point B. Hey, I know what you mean, man. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Man, there was this one time, bro. I was in the plane, and there was so much turbulence. And our captain, he had a very unconfident voice. He's like, "We're, we're getting through it, okay? We're getting through it." In a very like wimpy voice, uh, you know, striking up fear in the passengers. Where we're like, because when you're in a plane and there's that much turbulence, it's thundering and all of that, you start fearing for your life because you have no control. You can't do anything. You just have to sit there and wait on this uh, captain's uh, words of encouragement. And we were in turbulence for so long, man, where for a brief second, I actually thought I was going to die. And after that, I mean, I was just like, man, this this is hey, harsh. It's echoing. Um, this must be from Zenka. Uh, sorry, the StreamYard thing because I'm using headphones. Okay, uh, no worries. I could get through it. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, the whole experience just hurt my perception of planes. Have wait, you ever wait, had that uh, moment? No. Why are you afraid of turbulence? Who cares? Have it you ever heard of any plane crashing because of turbulence? Bro, it's not just a little turbulence. Like I'm telling you, the plane was like shaking, and like even the ladies, like that go the stewardess, they were over here tripping and falling. Hostess, yeah, yeah. It actually seemed like the plane was going to crash. It wasn't just like baby turbulence, like here and there. That I'm okay with. That I've experienced a lot flying on planes. I'm talking intense turbulence where it's shaking. I don't know. I don't know. I've never heard of any plane going down because of turbulence. Maybe I'm uninformed. Who knows? Man, this was around the time where all these planes were disappearing and stuff. <laughs> you remember that? You remember that period? Yeah, in Malaysia, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How does a plane disappear? See, it's it's very small, right? A plane compared, like if you if you take the map of the world, a city is just a dot, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a dot. And a plane is a dot in the city. It's it's so small compared to the entire city. So if you take something like the Pacific Ocean or the Indian Ocean, these are huge even compared to countries. Like the Pacific Ocean is big, bigger than maybe Asia. I don't know, but I'm just I think it's bigger than Asia or Africa combined. And uh, if you take a small dot like a plane somewhere on the trail and it just goes into the ocean it's like looking for a needle in a haystack mm, okay i could see that I'm, I'm surprised there's not some communication system set up some some backup plans i don't know there is a conspiracy theory you know a conspiracy theorist within me which kind of which kind of like, it makes me think some interesting stuff. For example, do you know this situation that recently happened where there was this, you know, what is it called? A ship that was blocking the Suez Canal. The mm. Suez Canal was blocked by the ship. I haven't heard about that. 
So I think this was last year, maybe where there was this one boat from either Taiwan or China, mm-hmm. and you know it was carrying a lot of goods, and it kind of crashed. And Suez Canal is very narrow, and it crashed horizontally in the sense that it blocked the entire canal. So goods, instead of going through the Suez Canal, now had to go all the way across Africa. The interesting thing is that before the ship crashes. the gps thing on the ship it 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 essentially sails in a penis shaped pattern and then it goes and crashes hmm so yeah it, what do you think that means penis. i don't know what it means but it makes a penis you said <laughs> yeah it makes a penis in the I ocean i think it's a peanut <laughs> no, a penis it makes a penis in the ocean and then it crashes the hell <laughs> it's crazy let me find it hold up okay Um, okay, ship crashes in Suez Canal. Penis, okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I'm gonna share my screen. Hold up, share screen. Wait, let me disable my bookmarks so it doesn't never show. Okay. Share screen. This one. Okay. Share this window. Share. Okay. So can you see this? So this ship, it kind of crashed parallelly to the canal, and it made this penis shape right before it did that. So what the hell? Yes. It, this kind of blocked a lot of trade for many months or weeks. Mm. So there's a conspiracy theorist within me that says this was intentional, right? Like, otherwise, why would a ship sail like this? Like, it would come here, make this dick, and then go and crash into <laughs> the, the, the canal. <laughs> Maybe they got lost in this shape. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe. So instead of going through this route, the green route. they now have to go all the way across africa which adds up a lot of time and energy and fuel to the you know shipping experience mhm so yeah it, oh, it was stuck for 14 days for 2 weeks damn have you evergreen have you ever been on a ship cruise or is that too personal i have never been on a ship or a cruise really so you have no clue if you get seasick or not No, I, I've been on a ship for like a couple of hours, but not overnight. And something about a cruise is fun, man. Where it do they have cruises in the India area? I don't know, man. I've never checked. Probably, okay. but no, I'm too reason, poor for this shit. Yeah, right, man. You're balling. Um, the reason I I love cruises at least is because it's like it's so cheap. but not only is it cheap it's this experience that comes with it where um like the cruise ship like you're on the ocean with a certain group of people for let's say 3 to 5 days so you start to build a little tribe right um there's buffet there's events to go to then eventually the cruise ship lands let's say in in Mexico or Bahamas so you can explore that area so if you're someone that's like getting in a new relationship a lot of people just go to cruises to get a feeler for how is this person is this a person i i could travel with are they uh, high maintenance can they enjoy these type of experiences 
So you'll typically see a lot of these couples and uh, cruises. But it's a fun experience. I mean, besides the initial uh, seasickness, eventually mm. you get used to it. Interesting. I don't know. I've never tried it, to be honest with you. I never even considered it. So mm. I have no opinions about it. Although I've heard a couple of things where a lot of these cruise ships once they're in international territory, you know, where they sail away from land enough, where no laws apply to them, they're the ones who actually dump a lot of oil in the ocean. Mm, I can see that. And yeah, so because no laws, no laws actually apply in international waters, so these cruise ships they'll take all their waste and just put it in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's extremely unethical in my opinion, man. That's crazy. Why would you do that? But it yeah. saves money, so. Does it save money? Yeah, it does. It does. Mm. So, in India, what are some fun things to do there? Do it you guys do a lot of sightseeing? What you consider fun depends on what you consider fun, because you can do everything you can do in, say, the U.S. in India, at maybe one tenth the price. Like, are but, there certain tourist spots? where you, you see a lot of tourists just going. I'm thinking Taj Mahal is one of them. Yeah, there's, there are some tourist spots which a lot of tourists go to, but India is extremely big. There's a lot of things to do. There's lots of places to visit, but it depends on what you like. For example, if you like nature, you want to trek a bit, then you need to go to, say, you know, the Himalayan region or somewhere in Maharashtra. You know, mm-hmm. where the Himalayan region has amazing treks, lots of snow, etc. If you like beaches, then you need to go to Kerala, Maharashtra, Goa, etc. If you want to see plantations and things like that, where I just went to, you need to go to Haryana or Punjab and places like that, mm-hmm. where, you know, they have a lot of crops that grow. So it depends on what you are looking for. If you're looking for a more cultural experience, you need to go to Haridwar or Banaras or or a religious city, you could say. So gotcha. India has a lot of things to offer, but something may interest you, which may not interest others. That's true. The reason I was asking that is because I've noticed couples, uh, let's say in their like late 50s, early 60s, that's the age where they want to travel a lot. And I noticed this age group talking about going to the India region a lot. And I hear a lot about Africa nowadays too, South Africa, but someone my age normally doesn't talk about India as much uh, from what I've heard, uh, but somewhere in the 50 to 60 age range. So I'm thinking they like to see like the scenery, there's some museums, uh, go-to spots. So that's interesting, man. I, I had a I, I had a former coworker who hit me up and he uh, listens to our podcast all the time. He's like, hey, man, that guy was talking about you getting a maid, uh, you getting a driver and a cleaner for, for how much? I was like a thousand. And he was he was really, really um, enthusiastic about that because he never knew that was even a possibility. Hey, for a hundred bucks, not a thousand. All three of those. Sorry, can you repeat what he said? A driver, the driver, cook and a maid. See, a driver would cost in a city maybe 200 to 300 bucks a month USD. Mm-hmm. Um, a maid, a full time maid, you know, who like spends 16 hours in your de- in their house doing everything would cost 200 bucks. 
and um, what was the other thing a cook right yeah so if you get the maid to also cook that would cost about 300 bucks 350 bucks so about 650 bucks you're done that's insane dude i mean in the future i i do see a lot more people uh, like things becoming more globalized where a lot more people are thinking about going to places like india i mean what's the language like i mean do a lot of people speak english everyone or... speaks english everyone speaks or understands english in the cities in all tourist places where someone who's a foreigner is likely to go to every single person will be able to understand you communicate with you and maybe charge you slightly extra depending on <laughs> how they perceive you but not always most people will not charge you extra actually that's a bit of a myth because most places in india have printed menus so you get a printed menu with the prices mm. so there's no possibility of you being charged more but you know if you're like shopping for clothes on the street which doesn't actually have printed pricing then you might be ripped off so i don't recommend doing that but for food and everything don't worry buy online if you need to you know your clothes if you like but yeah outside of that india is a great place to live everyone will be able to understand you it's not a country where people don't speak english right more people speak english in india than than in any other country in the world so out of curiosity what do you speak with your parents do you speak hindi 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 i speak hindi okay no no i'm just curious yeah my family doesn't speak english so well right they're not they were educated in a time where people were not being educated in english as much mm-hmm. and uh, yeah so i'm the first person to get a proper english education so everyone else in my family they speak or at least before me they speak local languages and hindi what do you speak with your friends english predominantly it depends on which friend some friends english some friends hindi mm okay it depends on the comfort zone of the other person right mm-hmm. but usually with in, if you're like doing business with someone or speaking to someone who's quote unquote modern you will normally speak english that makes sense i had um like a few classmates uh, that were coming straight from bangladesh uh, to the us uh, in my engineering program and they'd want to speak in bangla every now and then I'm like bro you don't want to hear me speak bangla <laughs> I, I i could speak it but there's like that very strong accent like american accent and they found this to be funny they're like no 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 bangla bolo bangla bolo which means like say bangla i know i know i, I it, well you yeah. like can you understand bangla speak something harsh ami ki bolbo tomar sathe i think you said harsh what am i saying with you or what am i going to say to you yeah pretty much same thing so yeah i'm pretty sure you could pick a bangla like in two days or so it's very similar to hindi based on what you have said so far do you speak in an english accent when you speak hindi or is it very natural no no you're you? crazy that that's that that sound really crazy <laughs> so in india when i speak english i you know, i speak english in an indian accent mm-hmm. but on these podcasts i get a lot of foreign viewers who find you know the indian accent hard to understand so i'm trying to learn the english accent it's actually working quite well because you know the indians get annoyed right they're like okay so can you speak in the regular accent please why are you trying to force the english accent but the people who are not indian when they're listening to this they're like okay so 
I can understand this without having to focus too hard. When I normally listen to someone with a regular Indian accent, I have to f- intently focus on what they're saying to be able to understand. Mm-hmm. And I pretty much, at least on Twitter and on the blog, have a primarily non-Indian audience, right? Indians are like 35%, so 65% are not Indian. And um, I'm assuming YouTube is also eventually going to be more non-Indian oriented. So it makes sense to learn the Western accent, especially the American accent, because the Indian populace is used to listening to Americans speak. So for them, a good American accent is good enough. But for a Western audience, an Indian accent is just harder to understand. And if you want a you know a complete audience with lots of people, you want to be easy to understand before everyone and pleasant to listen to. So it makes sense to adopt a more Western accent. At least it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. How's that been? I mean, have you been have you been facing any resistance with the accent change or has it been pretty easy? You're just following a couple of steps and executing it. The biggest resistance actually comes from Indians who find it a bit awkward to listen to. Because from their perspective, the previous one was way, way better, right? Because uh-huh. for them, the Indian accent is easy to understand and the Western is slightly harder, especially my Western, which is not you know perfectly Western. So yeah, the biggest resistance comes from Indians, but I think they'll come around, let's say. Is it mainly because of how you sound or is it more of a cultural thing? Are, are they, they saying like, why are you trying to sound both, Western? Both, both. It's a little bit of both, okay. Interesting. I what mean, about you? What about you? When you moved to the U.S., did you learn the accent, or do you no, still so, find yourself with a bit of a Bangladeshi accent? So what happened with me, Harsh, was when I first came to the U.S. Uh, and I was, let's say, five years old in kindergarten. I had these kids making fun of my accent, non freaking stop, because what I would do was I would stretch out my words a lot in English, and so I'd be like. Hey, Harsh, how are you? But from my ears, I didn't hear that at all. <laughs> that does right? sound funny. <laughs> no, and it was like it was like multiple people that didn't even know each other were like, why do you keep stretching out your words like that? And I'm like, I don't hear what you guys are saying at all. Then one of these days, we had this family friend named Sami. He had a camcorder, and he's over here recording all of his friends. And he records me speaking, and I hear myself for the first time. And I'm like, whoa, I actually sound like that. I didn't even know. But uh, throughout the years, I didn't really do anything to change at all. I just kept on living how I lived. So nowadays, I have, a, I would say, a fusion. It's, uh, it's Bengali with a mix of English. So Americans, for the most part, will be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, where are you from? Right? Where some Americans don't even notice. They're like, wait, what? Uh, you weren't born and raised here? Um. Where I was like, no, no, I was in Bangladesh for five years. Uh, you don't hear like the stretching. And so some people don't notice it at all, while other people notice it. But I've never done like the accent reduction classes or like anything like that. Mm, I see, I see. And it's actually been one of my uh, good points and bad points where sometimes like, you know, I'll get a YouTube comment like, man, I like uh, the way you speak bothers me. Uh, but on the same exact day, I'll get a comment on another video that's like, 
I really like the way that you sound. It sounds very unique to me. So with your voice, you can't ever have a criticism-free voice. Um, I was uh, I was watching this one interview of Jeff Bezos where there was this comment that was like, man, I can't stand Jeff Bezos. He's, he has such a boring voice. I hate him. And a bunch what? of the comment, yeah, a bunch of the commenters were like, wait, what? Uh, I don't like Jeff Bezos either, but I don't find his voice to be boring. But this guy was very adamant about it. And later on, he just like, and he should pay his workers more. So I was like, uh, I was like, how much do you hate his voice versus how much do you hate him? And it could be a bit of both. The point being is that no one's voice is criticism free. So uh, I believe you got to make a decision on what kind of voice you want and stick with it. But but that is unique. I mean, I didn't know that the, uh, like your Indian audience was like, oh, well, what's going on? Um, I, I do see comments every now and then, but you know, with anything, there's comments, but that's interesting. Hmm. I actually like Jeff Bezos' voice. I don't know what people are talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, w with anyone, man, um, criticism is just a part of life. Um, do you have certain ways that you deal with criticism or you just, do, do you take in certain feedback or you just have a certain vision that you stick it, stick it through? It depends on the type of criticism, right? Like if your criticism is something like, hey, you're a misogynist or sexist or whatever, where you're just labeling something and you're supposed to, you know, this is, you know, this is X thing and X thing is bad. So screw you. Mm -hmm. Where a criticism is some kind of personal attack that I just ignore it. Like who cares? But if you come up with something constructive where you're like, okay, so this is not good because X reasons and you can improve it by doing Y then I'm likely to listen to you. Mm. So sense. I can give you an example, right? Like I was learning chess and sometimes, you know, someone would tell me, you're making this move all the time and this move is bad because of this reason. Then I would change my move. But if you say, okay, you play this move all the time, do something different. I'm like, why would I do something different? This is fine. I'm winning. Right. So it depends on you know, the kind of criticism. And to some extent, it also depends on the guy who's criticizing you, right? For example, if some broke idiot making like 200K a month or like 200K a year or something is telling you, okay, you should not invest in Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a scam. Like, come on, dude. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. You should not be giving anyone financial advice. But if someone is like, you know, a multi-billionaire or a millionaire or, you know, someone's running a big ass business and they're telling you, okay, so you're doing X and this is a bad idea. That will at least make me stop and think, okay, I, am I actually doing something wrong here or not? So it's, it depends on one, the type of criticism it is and two, who is actually criticizing you mm -hmm. because you will find that most idiots tend to be the most critical of everyone in the sense that you know, let's take someone who's broke as hell or someone who's obese. This guy is going to be extremely critical of anything. And you, if you're smart, you'll just ignore it all because, you know, who cares what this guy thinks? Right. Some people just want to speak. Where I was in a class one time, Harsh, and there was two, uh, two lab mates with me. So we had a thing called labs and we would be assigned partners. One kid's name was Kofi, this big jack black dude. 
And the other guy's name was Sam, a very skinny Spanish, and he, he was fat. There was not an ounce of muscle in his body. Where some fat guys, you could tell they're still in shape. They could lift a lot. He was just this soft, fat guy. And I was trying to learn more about fitness from Kofi because he was so big. And anytime I'm trying to get advice from Kofi, Sam was like, trust me, man. Like Kofi, he's good, but he's very genetically gifted. And Sam is now trying to give me advice on how to lift weights. I'm like, <laughs> Sam, you are you are in no position to give me advice. I, I would never listen to advice from a guy like you. And the thing with Sam was he was way more well-spoken than Kofi, where when Sam was saying something, you'd want to listen. Where Kofi, he made you doubt him because he had no like conviction in his voice. He'd be like, oh, I mean, if I were you, I, I guess you, you could lift, like, I guess, I guess. I'm like, bro, say it with your chest, bro. This guy, Sam, he actually seems like the subject matter expert because of how he's <laughs> communicating his message where you're the subject matter expert and you can't even form a sentence without saying, I guess at the end. So, I mean, it's one of those confusing times where even people that are very, very gifted in what they do, it's just, they don't know how to communicate themselves properly at times where someone who's not gifted they're well-spoken. Uh, they know how to uh, formulate their thoughts into words, write big block paragraphs criticizing you on Facebook, and so much more. So it's a very interesting time on whose criticism you allow in. Man, this reminds me of this um, saying where some people have one good skill, and that good skill is that they're very good at interviewing. Mm -hmm. That is, they get great jobs because they they... they you know, do really well in the interview, but they actually suck at every job they do. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, that that happens. But if you think about it, some people are meant to just be strategists where they'll give you brilliant advice, but they won't do it themselves. And I know someone like this who knows so much, right? He reads so much books. He listens to all these podcasts. He's very well thought out, highly logical, but he has no guts. Whenever the going gets tough, he starts quitting. So he's one of those guys that would make a brilliant consultant at times just to give you tips, but he's not supposed to be that guy that's in the battlefield. And I've studied a lot of these old school leaders who had that paradigm where uh, there was this one warrior, I forgot his name. Uh, he had this great philosopher always giving him uh, tips on how to handle himself. And then the warrior would act it out. It's great if you're the warrior and the philosopher into one, but at times uh, people can just give advice, but they don't have the guts to, uh, you know, because no matter which field you're in, Harsh, I mean, there's going to be ups and downs. If you can't ha handle the downs, then you have no right to handle the ups. Do you know someone like that who's very book smart, but lacks street smarts? I was in consulting for a long time, so there's lots of people like that. But I will say that I'm not fully confident in their ability to to claim that they're also book smart in the sense that a lot of advice is actually very generic, right? And anyone can give you that advice and it sounds correct. Mm. But the map is not the territory. Right. 
that's a good point. The map is not the territory. It's like you're going up to someone and you're like, I'm really hungry. And they're reciting a cookbook for you. <laughs> and you're like, I know the damn recipe, bro, but I'm actually hungry. Uh, no, but I can give you like actual examples of this, mm-hmm. which are like way more practical than that. Sure. For example, I remember that, you know, I was, I think I was, I was in a hill somewhere. And, uh, you know, sometimes what happens in these hills, or this was like a mountain hill, it's a remote area. And sometimes in these places, you will find that the petrol pump runs out of petrol or the, you know, they don't have any more diesel left. So you can't actually go anywhere because the pumps are too far apart. And if you take your car and you go somewhere else, you won't have enough fuel left to come back to civilization. So you'll be screwed. So you just have to stay put. And there were people who were like, oh, no, it's fine. We're just going to, you know, find something in the front, find something in the back. And, you know, I see on Google Maps, there's another (laughs) petrol pump here. And, uh, you know, but if you have actual experience, like uh, the reason I stayed put while some other people went ahead and got stuck was that the people who actually lived there, the people with experience, they were, they did hold me that if this petrol pump doesn't have fuel, you can pretty much expect that the next one also doesn't have fuel and the next one also doesn't have fuel simply Mm. because it's a single road. And if you have fuel in one, that means the fuel trucks have passed and everyone will have fuel. Mm-hmm. So your instinct or, you know, your common sense will tell you, okay, so if this one doesn't have fuel, I just go to the next one that's 200 kilometers away and get fuel there. But the people with practical experience, they'll tell you, just stay put. Because right now you're at a hotel with food and everything. And who knows what you might find somewhere on the way. And once you run out of fuel, you're screwed because you can't go anywhere, right? You can't just abandon your car. Mm-hmm with all your luggage so then you're screwed right so a lot of these people did get screwed they went somewhere and now they got stuck it was simply because they were too smart to listen to you know the locals yeah being too smart isn't always a good thing yeah being too smart is dumb Mm -hmm. when people with experience people who live there you know if they say something you should take their advice and i've been in the situation when i fucked up before right Mm-hmm. where earlier the locals told me okay don't drink from the stream and i'm like no 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 flowing water is fine flowing water <laughs> trust me <laughs> <laughs> and then i felt sick <laughs> <laughs> this was recently right your recent trip yeah no no that was different that was different man that, that's one of the things with traveling where your stomach needs to get adjusted to a lot of places like whenever i was traveling to bangladesh for the like a first time in like three to four years, I could already guarantee the first two weeks was going to be some sort of stomach problems. But then the two weeks after, bro, you could eat anything, man. I don't know about you, Harsh, but I love street food. Like I, I love the, I don't really like the the fancy stuff. I love going to the, like the hole in the wall places. Everyone likes street food. It's all the salt in it. Nah, man. Some people are so picky. There was this one great tweet by Andrew Tate I saw a while back. It popped up on my feed. And he's like, I don't trust picky eaters. Food is a blessing in itself. And when you're too picky, it shows something in regards to your character. And I never heard it framed like that. Mm. But 
anytime I see a picky eater who's like, oh, trust me, I can't eat that. And they're over here getting cute with it. Something about them is just soft. You'll see that they're very opinionated regarding stuff that they don't know about. Um, did you know that? Are, are you a picky eater? Define picky because I don't eat stuff with vegetable oil in it, which is a lot of stuff. So if that's picky, then I'm picky. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I see it's because our you eat a completely different set. Like you're purely vegetarian. So I don't know what sort of questions to even ask you. But I agree with the sentiment where some people are like, this tastes bad, so I can't eat it. Mm-hmm. Or this is like too cheap for me. I can't eat it. I need something higher standards. Dude, yeah, there those was this... people have too much entitlement. I knew this one guy. Uh, I'm just going to call him Arnie because he may be watching this. <laughs> so Arnie, <laughs> Arnie was Hi, Arnie. The, <laughs> dude, Arnie um, uh, was the most picky eater I've ever met. And this was freshman year in college where, you know, as a guy, like, especially in, in college, like you give us anything uh, that's eatable. Most guys will eat it, right? Like a taco, like whatever, I'll eat it. Uh, sandwich, I'll eat it. Pizza, I'll eat it. As a college kid, right? But he's like, huh, I would never eat something like that. So eventually within the close squad, we were always like, Arnie's a picky eater. And eventually he heard about this and he's like, no, I'm not a picky eater. I just have standards. So one day we go to this place called Cold Stone. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. So this is a place where they uh, make ice cream and they'll make it right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And all the friends, w- w- nowadays we have the context of Arnie being this picky eater. So we're, we're expecting him to get cute with, uh, cute with his order. And he's doing very well. He's ordering just ordinary stuff that you would in uh, an ice cream sh- spot. He's like, I'll get... A chocolate, uh, chocolate ice cream. I'll get some, uh, like the peanuts on top. Yeah, some chocolate chip. We're like, okay, this is completely normal. By the time he's at the end of the line, we're like, ah, oh, man, we can't uh, practice this inside joke on him being a picky eater today. Uh, suddenly, Arnie, at the end of the line, he's over here looking very uh, flustered. He's like, he's looking at all the selections, and he's like, um. Ma'am, I'm looking all over the place, but I don't see the maraschino cherries anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) When he said that in unison, like me and like the close friends, we bust out laughing (laughs) because he was doing so good too. We're like maraschino cherries. What the hell? And the like the other patrons in the cold stone, they could hear us laughing too. And I think they picked up the gist of the joke. It was hilarious, dude. But that was a day in the life of Arnie, Mr. Maraschino Cherries. See, I'm I'm not sure about that. Like, how do you define picky? Because let's say that, okay, so I'll tell you what. Recently, this now that when I was out, the place I went to, people cook in a ton of oil. So I was eating something called aloo paratha. If you've heard of that, They're like potato paratha, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy who was making it. He was using refined soya oil in the sense that he had this canister of refined soya oil and he would take this huge spoon and apply it on both sides of the paratha. So what you were eating was like half soya oil. Now that's bullshit. So I go nearby. I'm like, okay, this is, I buy buy some ghee and I'm like, okay, I want you to make my parathas in this ghee. 
Now, is that picky or not? Because uh, maybe picky, I, bro. <laughs> who knows, man? You may be picky, bro. <laughs> there's no way I'm eating refined soya oil if I can help it. No, I get your point. I, I mean, you're at that stage where you're well off, um, and you have the right to do something like that. I'm talking about, you know, you're in college and you have all these damp demands and standards. To me, that's a different thing. Where you you're very conscious of your diet as well. I don't agree with that. I think Arnie just has standards. Like I don't think it's picky, in the sense it's that picky, not bro. eating pizza is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's not. Although, I I think you're taking it too much from the perspective of a diet, where you got to understand the perspective of a college kid in dorms, where they're barely getting any money. They have a thing called like they get like a certain amount of money in a card that they've pre-planned the semester ahead. So you're. I'm expecting some sort of craftiness. Like when you're like, no, 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 I can't eat at Taco Bell. I have to go to this particular taco s- store where we have to sit down and eat. Something about that, man, uh, it's picky to me. I see. Okay, if you're moving around just to be more posh, you know, like I don't want to stand and eat. I have to sit and eat. Yeah. Now, that's a different thing. That's picky. But if we just want to avoid low-quality ingredients or damaging food, then, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like that's not picky. For example, if you would, if you want to have ice cream and you have two options, where you can have ice cream that has you know a lot of sugar in it, or you can have ice cream that has little sugar in it, it makes sense to buy the one with little sugar. So I'm not sure if that is picky, it's for a college student or otherwise. But let me let me change the context a little bit more. I I would say you're let's say you're traveling to my place. Are you going to be a pain in the ass to show around or not? That's how I assess whether you're picky or not. Where if me and my brother were traveling to, let's say, Texas, and we're meeting up with our Texas people, we are the easiest people to show around. We could be like, oh, well, there's food here. Let's go eat right here. Now, I, I get your thing in terms of the quality. Um, there's certain standards you should have. But are you capable of those standards temporarily being taken away for the overall experience? Where it's like, uh, uh, go ahead, go ahead. No. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but a couple of days, yeah. But if you're living to living in a place for like a month or so, then it makes sense to keep your standards. Man, I was traveling for a month. Oh man, do you? you? Time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're you're someone who's very um, like you have certain demands with the food. I don't travel for a month, to be honest with you, but I find that if I start eating you know, particularly unhealthy food, extremely high salty food, I tend to crave more of that stuff. Mm, for example, I if I saying. eat like unhealthy food for three days, mm-hmm. then on the fourth day, I want unhealthy food. Like that's what my body would start demanding of me. So I don't, I'm not too creepy about it in the sense that if I go somewhere, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to eat here ever because it's not healthy. But I try to make it as healthy as possible. Yeah, I mean, like during diet mode, like I, I don't eat any like I, the last time I ate dessert, I don't even recall. Like I don't like cookies, ice cream or anything like that. And I, I don't know. I'm actually very weird in that regards. So for the most part, when you're in diet mode, yeah, I completely get it. Like you have to have a certain perspective. Otherwise, it's too easy to just be out of shape. Anyone would just be eating hot dogs and fried chicken all the time. But when you're traveling, there are certain uh, level of being dynamic, adaptable that I expect from people that I'm traveling with. Where with Arnie, 
I don't know if I can travel with him because a lot of the times, like let's say we're over here trying to hike up a mountain and there's just a Taco Bell right next to us. Arnie's the kind of guy that's going to be like, mm, I don't really know if I could eat Taco Bell. I, I believe we have to go uh, travel like this place to eat. And now, yeah, the, that's the annoying. Hike, that's annoying. Yeah. And now the hike is not the focal point. It's your food preference as the f- focal point and it's ruining the experience. So, I, I mean, I'm lucky because most of my friends, they're very dynamic. Like we're like the guys, guys, we're, <laughs> we'll, we'll do whatever we have to do when we're traveling. But in day-to-day life, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I'm not going to be eating, like, vegetable oil and all of that stuff. I get you. I get you. I think that for shorter travels, it's, you know, you are more likely to adjust your standards. But if you're going to traveling, if you're going to travel for, like, three months mm-hmm. and you're eating crap all the time, then you're screwed, right? I have friends who travel for, like, six months of the year. And mm. they work from home and they kind of, like, take their laptop and they go wherever they want. And they're yeah. obese as hell. Like they, they're actually obese. Like imagine mm. someone who's like one feet shorter than me, like five feet. She's a chick, and maybe she's even four feet eight, and she's heavier than I am. Really? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, if you're traveling for six months, then definitely. I mean, ignore everything that I'm saying. But normally, when I, whenever I'm traveling, harsh, it's like three to five days. Yeah, then maybe two weeks, whatever. Like, maybe two weeks, but that I can't even recall the last time I traveled two weeks. No, more more often than not, is three to five days. Yeah, that, that, that's fine. You can just eat like whatever you want for three to five days. It doesn't hurt you as much. She's four eight, and she weighs more than you. She weighs more than me. It's crazy. It just it's insane. That's insane. What is she? A family friend? A professional friend. She's incredibly intelligent, so mm-hmm. I keep her around, and she's sweet. But mm-hmm. what happens is that when you're traveling, say, to some random location, you end up eating a lot, right? Because you're always tired. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that, let's say that you walked, say, a couple of kilometers. You're going to be hungry when you come back. But you haven't burned as many calories as you should. Right. So you're going to eat way more. You're going to undo that entire walk. Plus, you're going to add some more. Mm-hmm. Now, combined with the fact that these villagers in India, they love to eat so much vegetable oil. It's crazy. Like, they'll put three spoons of vegetable oil in one paratha. That's like 300 calories of vegetable oil in one paratha. And let's say that you eat three of those parathas. Mm-hmm. Now, you're eating a thousand calories in oil. Damn. So it's crazy what they do. And uh, yeah, so you are bound to get fat if you eat like that all the time. And at some point you just let go, right? Okay, so you're like, I'm fat anyway, and I'm never going to get thin. So I might as well just keep eating because who cares? But at some yeah. point it just stops becoming a priority and then you just accept being fat. Oh yeah, you're right about that, Harsh, where I don't think anyone wakes up in the morning and is like, today I make the decision to be fat. It's these little, <laughs> it's these little, <laughs> no, seriously. You don't that... tell me that. I bulked all the way from 75 to 102 last year. Man, the, the fattest <laughs> I ever was uh, for a while, Harsh, so I'm six foot tall. I was 235 pounds for a while. And I'll tell you how I got to that. There was a period where I was in my final year of college. I was taking 21 credits, which is considered a lot. And I was uh, doing that little job, Zingo at night. Uh, I told you about that. 
And overall, it's just all I could eat was like junk. I would I couldn't go to the gym. I, I would literally spend all day in the library. And at first, I didn't notice anything. But later on, it just started to add up. If I'm eating like that and going to the gym and working out hardcore, it's one thing. But I'm just taking in that excess calories and sitting on my ass in the library. So over time, like there's this picture of me in my ring ceremony uh, in engineering. And I'm like, man, I'm over here sitting down, my gut sticking out. Like, it was such a repulsive picture. Mm. And I, dude, I saw the picture, right? And I'm like, oh, bro, man. Like, and the next day I just started going to the gym. So I get the whole thing with being fat. Like it's it just like these little things that add up. I think at some pe- some point, you know, once you get fat enough and you try a bit to get it off and it doesn't come off, then you just accept it. Then people just figure that this is their fate, that they're well, destined to be fat. Well, that's also where your metabolism comes in. Where for me, it's very easy. It's very quick for me to lose weight, but it's very difficult for me to gain weight. Uh, where with you, I believe you said you're the opposite, right? Yeah, for me, if I want to gain weight, I can do it really fast. I can eat like 3,500 calories and not notice. I think you're an endomorph and I'm an ectomorph. Have you heard those Probably, phrases? Probably, I've heard of those phrases. Mm-hmm. There's one more called mesomorph, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, that's like, we were talking early. Yeah, I'm Googling it. It's, um, yeah, so there's endomorph, mesomorph, and ectomorph. I'm definitely an ectomorph. Where growing up, dude, uh, I used to get shamed a lot by just like uncles and aunties for being so skinny. And, you know, for me, that was just funny. Like, I thought they were joking around. But it's like, if you're mixing that in modern climate, it's like, oh, my God, these uncles and aunties are harassing this poor young boy. (laughs) 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 Uh, But I was so skinny, dude. And I'm just like, I don't know when I'm going to gain weight like that. And it's always... It was just a very annoying comment to hear. It's like, don't you eat? And it's like, how do you respond back to a question like that? Don't you eat? I don't know, man. I think uncles and aunties have a very flawed perception of what is thin and what is fat. Where unless you are like visibly chubby, they think you're thin. Well, I was actually thin, and to to remix this, my brother <laughs> was very fat. So we were just like polar opposite, which highlighted more <laughs> how skinny I was. <laughs> so it's like, but to my brother, they're like, oh, wow, so healthy. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> See, that does sound like Indians, yeah. Because <laughs> it... it, it mm-hmm. <laughs> In India, where you're like, if you're fat, you're healthy. If you're regular, you're thin. And if you're thin, you don't exist. Were you like that? Or were they complimenting you? Man, when I was fat, they would say I was healthy. Mm. But I was not healthy at all. Like, I couldn't do a complete push-up. That is not healthy at all. Right. No, this was before the gym days. This was when I was maybe 13. So I was fat when I was 13. And they would say I'm healthy, but I was not healthy. Not by yeah. any reasonable standard of health. So yeah, Indians, they have this perception and the perception is wrong, right? Where mm-hmm. if you are, if you're fit, they'll call you thin. And if you're fat, they'll say you're healthy. That's true as well. Where when I went from being super skinny to being somewhat in shape, they're like, 
mm, they still I still didn't get the props from the uncles and aunties. They're just like, eh, you know. It's like they wanted me to have this big ass belly to be like, there we go. <laughs> Man, this sounds so much like India. Yeah, so I mean, it never got to me, but there are people where it gets to them because when you're, let's say, you're getting body shamed, some use it as fuel. They're like, "Well, I'll show you," where others they just become worse versions of whatever they're getting shamed for. There was this one time, Harsh, where I was um, I, I was going to this football game, right? And one of my friends was uh, the football player, and I didn't have a car back then. I was like 16 or 17 years old. And my friend's girlfriend was like, hey, I'll pick you up, Armand, and I'll drop you back home. I was like, okay, cool. Her name is Claire. So I'm in the car with Claire, and she's like just the, just the homie, right? Like we're joking around. And I'm like... Claire's like, no, 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 I, I can't uh, eat at the game. I'm like, what are you, anorexic? Dude, when I said that, she freaks out. She starts yelling at me. She's like, don't ever say that to me again. Why would you call me anorexic? I was like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> Claire was actually like pretty good looking. Like She was like very like curvy and everything. I'm like, why are you getting so annoyed by me calling you anorexic? Clearly, you're not. Later on, like, I met up uh, with my friend who's a football player, uh, her boyfriend. I'm like, hey, uh, you may want to talk to Claire. Like, she got pissed off because I called her anorexic. And he's like, you called her what? I was like, I called her anorexic. And he's like, <laughs> didn't you hear? Like, she actually was anorexic. And you know what anorexic is, right? Yeah, these guys only eat, right? Yeah, they don't eat, but but there was an extended version of that where after she would eat, she would actually throw up the food. I think that's called Man, bulimic. These guys need a doctor or something. Dude, so when I said that to her, she freaked out because she used to get shamed a lot for being a heavy. So she lost that much weight. So, and then she gained it back. And when I made uh, that comment, she actually looked very good. Like she was very sought after in school, like the curvy body. Uh, so something was in that part where like her getting shamed it stuck with her so when i said that when she was no longer in that state it just reverted her back to her shaming days man that is that happens that happens it, it in fact it happened to me occasionally no not this particular thing like i was never anorexic but um you know like if you listen to something being said to you for a long time and that thing is no longer true, but someone just says that out of the blue to you. You're like, hey, what are you doing? Fuck mm -hmm. this bullshit. Right. So I, I know what you mean. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. Some people, they need to hear it. Some people, they need to hear that they're too thin or too fat to change. Mm -hmm. For example, um, I, I dated this girl who was maybe 43 kilos. She was so thin, you could see all of her ribs and everything. Like I could overhead press this chick. Damn. Yeah, she was so thin. I think I did. I think I tried doing that one I, once. I don't remember exactly. So her family was like, you should eat more. You should eat more. <laughs> been pressing her? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, pressing her. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So her family was like, she should eat more. She should eat more. But the thing is that people don't have enough knowledge on how to do these things, right? So she was actually eating more. 
because when I would go out with her, she would try and eat a bit extra. But all the weight she was gaining was coming in her tummy because she was essentially just gaining fat and not any muscle. Mm. So I was telling her, okay, you also need to train while you're eating more food. <laughs> yeah, you can't just do the eating part. Yeah, you can't just do the eating part. Then you just become skinny fat. Right. So people just lack the knowledge, you could say. And some people need to hear it. Like she was actually really thin. You could see her ribs. Like, you, you know, when she would take her shirt off mm-hmm. for a second, you could see like all of her ribs and count them. Ugh. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Where, I mean, it's a, it, it could be an epidemic at times, man. And you're seeing all these different um, media uh, telling you what's pretty, what's not. And now it's like, th- there's more clutter. There's I don't think that's the issue. I think, uh, sorry, I'm sorry to cut you off repeatedly, by the way. It just... Oh, no, no worries, man. Go ahead. Uh, the issue, I think, is that some people, you know, their body adjusts to eating a very low amount of food and they become full really fast. So she might eat just a bit and then she's full. Mm-hmm. So it's not about trying to maintain that figure. Even if she's trying to eat more, she's struggling to eat more. Not because she's trying to maintain 42, 43 kilos, but just because her body, her stomach becomes full really, really fast. I can 100% empathize with that, man. Because when I was going to Bangladesh, all these aunties and uncles are like, eat more, eat more. I'm like, lady, look, I'm trying, but I can't (laughs) eat anymore. No, because you, you eat a little bit and then automatically your stomach is filled up because your stomach is actually a little bit smaller when you're smaller. So, so I do get what you're saying. The guys were in though. Yeah, there are also hormones that your body, like, you know, adjusts according to your food intake. So, for example, if you're eating a lot, mm-hmm. then your body will be way more hungrier. Versus if you eat little, then you, you'll start feeling full eating less food. So, currently, I'm eating 2,000 calories. So, on days when I'm refeeding, I'm eating like 2,500. And I feel really full when I eat 2,500. Versus when I was eating 4,000 calories. You know, if I ate 3,500, I would feel hungry. So your body adjusts to what you're eating. That's true. That's true. Especially if you've been cutting for some time. It's like eventually your metabolism is on hyperdrive. And you'll eat and you're automatically hungry again. Is that is the opposite true as well if you're heavy? Or why a lot of heavy people can't stick to their diet? I will just say that when I was bulking, I was struggling to eat as much food. But mm-hmm. on some days, let's say that I have to eat 4,000 calories and I've eaten 3,000, which is above my maintenance already. But I'm still hungry because I'm used to eating 4,000. So I'm used to eating like big meals four times a day and I've only had three. So I'm hungry for the fourth one versus now I'm used to eating big meals twice a day. So the second one fills me up enough and I don't need a third one. So your body gets used to how you're eating. Try doing this. Try eating something every day at five o'clock in the evening. Mm -hmm. And then stop. You'll find that you start getting hungry at five. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For me, like I don't, I do intermittent fasting for most of the day. And I found out that works best for me. Where if I eat early on in the day, I, I just feel groggy. So I don't eat until I'm done with all my work. So around five to six is normally when I'm starting to eat. 
And it just works for me. Everyone's body is somewhat different where people try intermittent fasting. Some are like, man, I can't do that. Some people will do keto and they'll be like, oh, that works for me. I tried keto one time and it just did not resonate with me at all. So you got to figure out what works for you. See, as long as you're eating less calories and you're burning, you will lose weight. Yeah, no, no, no that, that's definitely true. That's true. But what I'm trying to say is how can you optimize your day for a lot of energy? Like, that's what I look for as well. Like where, like, yeah, the surplus deficit, I get that part. It's like, how can I eat in a certain way, Harsh, where I'm feeling good in the day? I don't need coffee. I don't need uh, energy drinks and all of that. And I noticed whenever I'm hungry throughout the day, there's that primal side of me that comes out. I was doing this for speeches for a while too, Harsh, where I go to an event. And if I'm emceeing an event, uh, basically introducing the speakers and such, uh, the host of the event is like, hey, here, we got you some sandwiches. I'm like, nah, lady, like I don't eat until I'm done with the event. She's like, oh, what? And it's like, she couldn't even picture it because all other MCs prefer to be fed before speaking for so long. So it's weird. I mean, if I go to someone and I'm like, no, I don't eat for most of the day and I eat at night, they're like, what? That's so weird. Uh, but it works for me. It's like, I don't need coffee or anything with this particular strategy, but it's not advice. Do you find yourself getting sleepy when you eat? Yeah. And this actually happened where a couple of months back, I went to this event, like this social event with a couple of uh, close people. And we ate at 2 p.m. And afterwards, I had to do work. And my stomach was just like, like, and I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm feeling tired, man. I need some coffee, right? Where if I save all my food for the end of the day, I noticed that I work even harder when I am working because psychologically, I'm like, well, I get food at the end of the day. It's like a primal side of me is be being engaged. So when I'm working, I'm not, you know, checking my phone and all of that stuff. It's like I'm actually working. It's like you can goof off at the end of the day, but in the beginning of the day, be productive. And this is a schedule that works for me. Uh, this is by no means something that everyone should do because if someone else tries it out, they'll be like, oh man, this is this is chaotic. This doesn't work for me at all. So do you have a certain schedule like that? Or you go with the flow? I track my calories. So what I do is I eat 2000 calories every day. I eat when I feel hungry and I don't eat in the morning because it's a waste of calories, right? Did you <laughs> ever try like those five meals a day strategy? When I was bulking, it was the only thing I was doing. I was just eating all day. Mm -hmm. But in retrospect, that bulk was too much. I didn't need that many calories. I didn't gain as much muscle and I just became fat. So that was a mistake. <laughs> Got the man boobs. Yeah. And moreover, I think I just, you know, when you get fatter and you get fat, you know, for, you know, a year, your skin starts becoming loose. Hmm. So then when you lose weight, you have to lose weight slowly or your skin will develop these wrinkles everywhere. Mm -hmm. like, I wasn't that Did bad. You have that? Like, I was, okay. No, I didn't, but I was scared to have that. Right. Because I bulked from 75 to 102 in a year. That's a lot, right? It's like That's a half lot, a kg dude. in a month. That's a lot. So 
Yeah, I would not recommend doing that. It was just an experiment, and mm. I was following the starting strength gospel. Unfortunately. <laughs> oh, you don't like starting strength anymore? I like starting strength, but the nutrition didn't work for me. It just made me fat, so I had to lose oh, all okay. of that. Right. So it was a pain in the ass, basically. Like I had to first struggle to eat a lot, then I had to struggle to eat very little to lose it. <laughs> so would not you recommended. Say, would you say you found your sweet spot yet for what you're looking for? Or you're still experimenting a lot? 2,800, 2,800 and mm. a bulk, not 4,000. Right. But yeah, I don't worry too much about timing and everything. I just typically don't eat in the morning because in the morning you're not hungry. You've just woken up. Mm-hmm. So you just go for a walk. And I typically eat more at night because, you know, it makes it easier to sleep. Dude, for I know people reason. that are the exact opposite. They're like, man, when I wake up, I get, I have the biggest breakfast. And they eat a big breakfast in the morning. They're like, that's the most important meal of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, man, I can't even think about eating that much in the morning. I don't know. I don't feel hungry in the morning, but I can't sleep if I'm hungry at night. It, it makes sleeping like harder to do. So I eat well before I sleep. I try to eat more carbohydrates, you know, for, you know, this is going to, this is going to piss off all the keto people listening, but I'm a vegetarian, so I can't really do keto. So I eat carbohydrates and that's how I find that I'm more energetic. So on days when I have like way less carbs, not exactly days, but let's say I go like five days eating little carbohydrates, like less, maybe like 50, 60 grams. Mm-hmm. All my glycogen is going to like deplete and then I'll be really, really sluggish. So then I have to do a refeed or something. So I typically eat maybe 200 grams in carbohydrates. Hmm. I find that to be really helpful in the gym. So I eat carbs. I don't worry too much about, you know, keto or things like that. It's not possible. I eat maybe right now I'm eating 150 grams of protein per day. And uh, about 60 to 100 grams in fat. Maybe more than 60, about 80 to 100 grams because I've been eating eight eggs a day. So that's about 45, 50 grams of fat. Plus, you know, the ghee and everything. So, and the other food, maybe about 100 grams. So it it varies a bit, but I try to keep the fat about 80 grams, the carbs about 200 and the protein about 150. You're like a scientist with this, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, damn, bro, all these numbers. I mean, I don't know, man. Like th- that sort of stuff for a while I liked to do and I still do it. But getting so like calorie counting and stuff, weighing your food. I don't I don't know, man. That doesn't sound like a fun life to me. It just takes two minutes. I don't know why people think that. I don't know why people think that, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a crazy amount of effort. But when it just takes one minute. Yeah, but you putting all these numbers into like an app and then it's like anytime you're going out to eat, you're like pulling it up on your, some people get crazy like that, man. They pull it up on their app and they're like, am I allowed to eat this? Oh, no, I'm not allowed to eat that. Oh, it's just too much, man. Like for a while I was all into it. I was like, yeah, let me do it. But nowadays I want to structure my life in a way where I work out so intense where I could eat a lot of the stuff that I want to eat. See, I'll tell you what, when you're out, <laughs> just eat and then track it. Don't look at the numbers before you eat. That's good advice. Do you and work then, out so intensely where you're like, I could really eat whatever I want? Or you're just like, 
no, I gotta, I gotta stick with this particular plan. I think weight comes down to your diet. You can't work out so intensely in the sense that, okay, so if I walk 10,000 steps a day, maybe I burn 4,400 calories there, maybe 350, 400, I don't know. And with a regular strength training schedule, let's say that you're lifting three times a week, four times a week, you're burning maybe 150 calories in your workouts, right? Mm -hmm. So... On a day you train and you do, you know, your 10,000 steps a day, that's, you've burnt about 550, 600 calories. That's about it, right? Yeah. That's too little, isn't it? You can eat, like if you're going out to eat, I can eat maybe 2,000 calories. If I eat pizza, I will eat maybe 2,000 calories or 2,500. I can eat an entire pizza if I want. So no amount of working out is going to cut 2,000 calories. That's not possible. Right. I'm talking about from the calories you're allowed. Like, can you enjoy those calories? Or are you eating salads and peanuts and that sort of stuff? I don't like peanuts, man. Mm. I eat healthy stuff, but the healthy stuff I eat is actually good. It's not one of those forced feed type diets. Yeah. But back to what we were initially talking about with getting heavy where it seemed as though that you had that stage in your life too, where I don't know, you're, you were bulking and you would say you got somewhat fat where I definitely, yeah, I, got, ha- I got not somewhat fat. I got like visibly fat, the visibly where, fat where you had a gut. Yeah. yeah I had a gut mm-hmm. and you know, like, you know, someone who would like see me, okay. After a year, they were like, Hey, what happened to you last year? You were so fit. And why are you fat now? And I'm like, no, I'm not fat. Like, I am fatter, but I'm like much stronger than I was last year. <laughs> Let me explain to you real quick. <laughs> no, I'm not going to lie, man. Like when someone insults you like that, especially your squad, who is just getting done complimenting you not too long ago, they're like, wow, man, look how muscular you are. And then out of nowhere, they're like, what happened? There's that level of motivation that a lot of guys feel. They're like, I'll show you where... I do agree with you in terms of the shaming thing where it's a dynamite move where uh, it it could either come in clutch or it could destroy. Like, you know, the guy who made the dynamite, Alfred Nobel. I think it was a situation where they invented some kind of glycerin, which explodes if you like hammer it. But if you mix it with some powder, it doesn't explode as, as you know, it doesn't explode spontaneously. It explodes when you command it to. I saw a documentary on it. Yeah, probably that's the same thing I'm talking about. But Alfred Nobel, when he initially created it, he thought this dynamite was going to be used for such good, especially like a lot of these construction people. They could just put a dynamite, right? But so many people were uh, killing people with his, uh, his invention, and he couldn't believe it. So the dynamite in itself wasn't bad, but... It, it was a tool and nowadays like alfred nobel like it's the nobel peace prize is named after him so the guy who made the dynamite <laughs> the nobel peace prize is named after him so it's like with shaming with certain people you know like if you shame them correctly you're going to get greatness out of them while with others it literally destroys their self-esteem so it's a, it's a dynamite move man i wouldn't recommend doing it on everyone it depends, you know, like it, so for some people, it really works. For some people, it really doesn't. 
Mm-hmm. For example, for my father, um, I realized that if I just keep on like you know complimenting him when he's doing something physical, he tends to do more of it. But oh, okay. for some of my friends, I might like, come on, dude, you're just getting fat, and that guy will like start working out, eating less, etc. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. different strategies work on different people. Yeah. So back to the Claire story, the girl who I called that name and she freaked mm-hmm. out. She was shedding insight on how girls bully versus how guys bully, and um, and she was talking about how girls strategically use words to put you down. And a couple of years later, when I was joining a fraternity, I uh, was hanging out with a lot of sororities, and I started to see how they would get people into their sororities. And one of the sororities was very slick with it. They're like all the ugly girls; we make them. Uh, be in the back uh, washing the dishes, while the pretty girls they're able to network with us in the front. So it's like this subtle trick of bullying that can hurt your self esteem a lot if you identify with your looks. So it's just a different like bullying in itself. It's different for girls and guys. Where guys will either uh, some guys will put hands on you, like they'll actually beat you up. Um, did you ever get bullied before? A little bit, man. Who didn't? Yeah, no, who didn't? Um, care to share any stories? I, I could share one. Nothing, nothing that bad in particular, in the sense where I had a story per se. Mm-hmm. But it was just, you know, you're a fat kid in school, so you know, you're a fat kid. Uh, yeah, for me, it was the opposite. It's like you're a skinny kid, man. Um, yeah. So I, I thought that was very, uh, that was like because hearing Claire's origin story on how she ended up doing that to her body i found that to be very unique and nowadays i mean there's different versions of it where some girls get obsessed with plastic surgery have you ever heard of this girl named aubrey o'day i have not but let's google her or let's put a picture of her can you google her real quick because my mouse the battery just died for some reason aubrey o'day a b r i o d e okay a u b r e y o d a y a u b what a u b r e y o okay Tam, she looks like a silicone model but look at her um look at her at how she used to look like very very pretty girl Wait, I I'm looking at her. She used to be really fat, apparently, no. and now she's thin. Or is it the opposite? It's the opposite. Here, look at this picture. Here, check this. Okay. Have okay, this shirt, okay. Right? Yeah, go down one and to the right. Yeah, click that. Oh, I need this one. No. Yeah, she looks good here. No, no, click one to the right. This one, okay. Yeah, so that's how she looked in the left. Uh, this is like completely original like to me that looks really pretty and then later on in the middle like she starts like you know playing around with herself too much she starts going under the knife yeah the then, synthetic look yeah then it starts to become an addiction like look at her to the third one and i don't want to make fun of her or anything like that but that's another like like modern form of anorexia and bulimia where you get obsessed with trying to tweak yourself because there's more technology nowadays where you can tweak yourself with like plastic surgery. I know guys that get plastic surgery. 
I don't know them personally, but I know like some of these famous guys, they'll do that. So I wonder oh, if a lot of them get plastic surgery. I know a lot of them. Oh, you you know about this? Yeah, a lot of them get plastic surgery for like better teeth and everything. Mm-hmm. So they'll I get wonder... like some kind of thing done on their teeth where the teeth will look completely even and Hollywood-like. Mm-hmm. So those teeth are fake. There's some kind of like something that stuck. They stick it on the teeth forever. I know what you're talking about. And they have Botox done and it's crazy, but it makes sense for these guys because they make money off their look, right? Like if you're an actor, it pays to look good. But, but if you for... go down south real quick, man, like you saw the her, like how she's almost unrecognizable looking nowadays. Yeah, this is crazy. I think that some people are just so insecure. They go crazy. Mm-hmm. But minor stuff, I don't... I think it makes sense. For example, I know this chick who who has this weird scar-like wrinkle on one side of her forehead. And uh, it, it almost looks like a dent in her head. So she gets some Botox thing done and it fixes it. Because if mm. she doesn't fix it, people keep asking her, okay, what's that? What's that? What's that? And it, oh. look, it sticks out. Mm-hmm. So that's not insecurity. That's just, you know, fixing something that's bothersome. Or if you have a mole, you have it removed, that's fine. But these extensive surgeries that you don't really need, yeah, that's a bit, it's a sign of being super insecure, right? And mm-hmm. people are insecure. Insecurity is a habit. Let's say they're insecure about one thing and they have surgery to fix that. Tomorrow, they're going to feel insecure about something else because they're used to the feeling of being insecure. So today, you don't like your eyebrows, you get them fixed. Tomorrow, you don't like your nose. Tomorrow, you don't like your lips. Then you don't like your neck, whatever. And it just goes on and on and on. Well, that's how a lot of these stuff begins where uh, let's say you're feeling heavy and you stop eating a meal. You're like, "Uh, let me see how much I can push it. You stop eating another meal. Then you're like, oh, how about I throw up the meal that I just ate? Then I didn't eat at all for today and I didn't get any calories. Our version of that in this generation is like, okay, well, let me just get my nose done. Okay, okay that came out really good. Uh, let me just get my lips done too. Oh, that came out really good. Let me get my, and then you just keep it going and going. And eventually you're unrecognizable where, I don't know, man. I mean, this could be some sort of like mental like disease in the future where, uh, especially a lot of the media will push it. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, look, look, that's what you should be looking like. Go on, make yourself look like that. And a lot of these impressionable people are like, yeah, I I do need to look like that. And they start altering themselves, man. See, I, I agree with you, but I also have a counter perspective. And mm-hmm. this is a perspective that it's going to take me at least five minutes to get it out. So let me formulate my thoughts. Okay, now think of it, Arman. It's do you consider it important for a girl to be pretty? For from her perspective, do you think a girl considers it important that she looks pretty to men? Yes. For the general girl, yes. For the general girl, yes. Okay. Now, would you say that men become desensitized to how girls look in the sense that if everyone's wearing makeup, then a girl who's not wearing makeup looks uglier. Or if everyone's, you know, thin, then a girl who is slightly fatter looks looks like she's fat. The Do you first think one, that... the makeup one, I don't care at all. I think girls look better without makeup. But 
I'm trying to see the, but I'll I'll play along because I, I believe there's a point you're trying to make. So I'll be like, yes. Right? Yeah. So okay. The idea is that you become you you start to expect a certain standard of beauty. For example, if you look at an actress maybe 200 years ago or whatever, they would be significantly less pretty than an actress of today. And you're going to be like, if you look at the picture of this girl from 200 years ago, she might be really pretty for people of her time, but she lacked the technology, right? She didn't have the fake eyelashes. She didn't have as good lipstick, whatever. And she would not look as good. For example, if you take these beauty pageants and you take a really beautiful beauty pageant girl from today and you compare her without makeup, you're going to say the girl without makeup looks ugly, even though it's the same girl, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you might say it's optional to wear makeup. Like, why does it matter? But let me give you a different perspective, which is a bit of an analogy. Let's say that cars have just been invented, okay? So this is a world without cars. Everything is nearby. But mm -hmm. cars have just been invented. So cars, if, whether you have a car or not, is optional. It's a convenience. But you don't really need a car. You can just go and walk and buy something. But as cars become more and more popular, everyone starts to get a car. And then what happens is that, let's say the place you buy groceries at, Instead of it being like 200 meters from your house, the, you end up with a Walmart 20 kilometers from your house. So now you have to have a car because if you don't have a car, you don't, you're not going to walk 20 kilometers to buy groceries. So it's no longer optional. It starts with being optional, but as more and more people start doing it, that thing stops being optional. For example, when computers were a thing, like when they just started, it was optional whether you knew computers or not. Like if you knew computers, you would get paid slightly more. But mm -hmm. if you didn't, you could still make a good living being a plumber or whatever else you were doing before computers were popular. But today, if you don't know how to use a computer, you're fucked. So it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's almost a requirement to use a computer. Now, taking this concept to the beauty thing, if everyone's using plastic surgery to look good and you are not most people will start looking at you and think that, okay, you look ugly because everyone else looks better than you. And beauty is relative, right? So you're going to be forced to use plastic surgery because everyone else is using it. I believe like the analogy that, like your analogy was great. Another analogy just to add on to that is like with bodybuilding, where if you're natural and everyone else is like doing steroids, you're probably going to be more inclined to do steroids in order to compete. That sort of stuff I actually understand the case for. I believe if you're in an industry where for the most part, you're over here, uh, like most of these people are doing plastic surgery to look good, I can understand your rationale for doing that. Now here's where I begin to have the problem where you're not in that industry. Let's say you're an accountant or a lawyer or something like that and you're looking at this and now this becomes your standard. It's it's very similar to a guy like me or you. We're like, well, those bodybuilders are doing steroids. Why don't we do steroids too? Because me and you, we're not trying to do bodybuilding. We're just like, let's say I'm an engineer and you're a doctor, right? It's like, and now it's like industry um, is spilling over to the mainstream where I believe the mainstream media is playing onto this. They're like, oh, well, 
this industry, yeah, yeah, they're doing uh, plastic surgery. We should make this from a niche category into an industry, let's say from singing to something that all girls should uh, go for. Um, so that's I where, I, yeah. I agree with you there. And you're right. The media is doing that. What I'm where saying if you go, is that... If you, if you go to a guy like me or you, I don't know if a guy, like a regular guy, finds stuff like that appealing where they're all like injected with all this bunch of stuff. But maybe in that particular industry, that's the standard. But I mean, a guy like me and you, I don't know if that's what we're going for. Yeah, I agree with you there. The synthetic look sucks. But what I mean is something more subtle than that. In the sense mm. that a lot of women get a nose job done and you can't tell they have a nose job done. But they look significantly better because of it. And I agree with the fact that the media is promoting it a lot. What I'm saying is that the way things are headed, it's going to be more and more compulsory for a woman to get this type of stuff done to her just to say just to stay competitive. Hmm. Do, do you know anyone that did that? I know quite a few people who've had small amounts of plastic surgery simply because I know some people in the entertainment industry. But you mentioned that before. That's a Okay, so you yeah, it, it pays well apparently in the sense that if you if you're if you're an actress mm -hmm. and you're significantly prettier than the average actress, it pays really really well. Oh yeah. Versus, yeah. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Well, have you ever heard of Victoria's Secret? It's an underwear company, right? Yeah, but they they have a thing called um, the Angels uh, that do like model a lot of their products. And there was this documentary of this uh, one former angel who came out and was talking about the dark sides of uh, being an angel. Because from the outside, it looks so glamorous. Like these girls look, you know, po polished, nice hair. Uh, they're wearing these wings. But behind the scenes, they force you to go for a certain look. They may make you do certain kinds of drugs. And it's a very dark industry. What? Yeah, it's a very dark industry to get yourself caught up in. So... It was a very, uh, I believe the documentary came out a couple of years ago, but it was one of those things where it's like, what? I was not expecting that at all from this particular line of work. It makes sense. The drugs part, I understand. It's just probably something that suppresses appetite, right? Well, it was makes the same thing. Yeah, it was the same thing with World Wrestling Entertainment in the 80s or 90s. Uh, the head honcho, Vince McMahon, he was getting tried by the government uh, for telling his wrestlers to take steroids and be big. And if you weren't taking steroids, then good luck. You're not probably going to be uh, a professional wrestler. So a lot of these industries have these dark sides to it too. Every industry has a dark side. Mm -hmm. In the sense, what pays, you know, what pays people tend to do that. Yeah, and that's true with any industry. Just that these guys, it's obvious, right? Because you see them, and their look is kind of their selling factor. Mm -hmm. But take anything, okay? If you take something like consulting, the dark side of consulting is that you don't want to solve the client's problem; you just want the problem to go on and on and on, so you get paid more. Mm. In the sense that I remember, they, 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 I have a few friends who are consultants. But some of these guys, if, if there's an obvious solution that, that's going to solve your problem, 
versus as a solution which solves it temporarily but then makes the problem come back i'll give you the solution that's going to solve your problem but a lot of these guys will like give you the solution that's going to make you keep coming back mhm so every industry has some dark side some bad players it's just a thing so that's something yeah. you should expect because it's human nature right they kind of oh, yeah. want to make the most amount of money or whatever i remember once my mother was you know we were skiing we had gone to a place and my mother broke her hand and we saw a couple of doctors and there was this one doctor who was like yeah this is extremely terrible let's get surgery done today you need to book you know a bed in the hospital now and we'll do the surgery and my father was like okay no we're going to get a second opinion and every other doctor we asked they're like you don't need surgery it's going to heal you need a plaster so the first doctor was crazy right <laughs> yeah. or he just wanted to make money and uh, yeah that that's going to exist in everything and the more elite you get in the sense you know the victoria secret is probably the more elite models you get higher competition and with higher competition you you get more and more people who will use these substances to get ahead because you know this is what pays and if you're not using those substances then you're not going to be anywhere you're going to lose you're going to lose and so yeah you have to use it you have no choice it's it's a car analogy again like you have no choice like if you're in the olympics and there's some drug which they can't detect that's going to make you swim faster and you know other people are taking it so if you don't take it you're going to lose so you have to take it right man and this is going to happen in everything it just takes a lot of the magic and the purity out of things i agree with you there but it's kind of the price you pay when you have extreme amounts of competition mhm oh yeah and i i like how you brought up the point the higher you rise as well where maybe for an engineering job you're not going to have that many dark sides you probably are going to have some dark sides but that versus you being in the nfl where a lot of these nfl guys uh, the national football league harsh american mm -hmm. football after their career is done man like they have cte uh one of the famous football players is like oh you know i'm just eating cereal and my a shoulder just pops out of my socket i'm like what ew bro like he's like yeah well i got, you know i got that injured a lot of these uh, professional football players harsh they go on joe rogan's podcast and they'll explain or just different podcasts and they'll be like yeah i mean you, you see us getting hit like that uh it looks uh, it looks like nothing on tv but you're getting a 250 to 400 pound guy rushing at you with all of their will trying to hurt you so it's it's one of those things where things look glamorous but when you really know about it how glamorous is it yeah that's crazy man like i think that a lot of these professions which involve combat in some sense they tend to you don't come out of it whole because on a long enough time scale you're going to get some damage mhm mm i remember when i was boxing i would sometimes spar and the sparring partners they were some they were beginners like like me and sometimes they would hit you hard by accident of course but it would actually make your head spin a bit right 
And I presume that if you're doing that for years and years as a boxer, you're getting hit in the head. That's bound to have some long-term impact. And when you look at people like Muhammad Ali and everyone who have like Parkinson's or something, like, yeah, that's not worth it, man. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So when you get to a point where you're actually competing and there's money on the line and people need the money, you get to a point where people will do anything to win, anything. And this is not just the case with these professions. It's the case in any profession, any of them. Like in finance, they take modafinil, if you've heard of that, to stay awake and work longer. Mm-hmm. Adderall. Adderall, yeah. No, no, I'm, not, I'm not aware of people who take Adderall. I know people who did take modafinil. I think Adderall is supposed to be way more addictive. So people don't take it, they avoid it. So the point being that the more competitive you are, you know, the higher you get, the less choice you have with when it comes to these things. And it's very similar to what we were talking about earlier, where you get like fat out of nowhere, or it's like these little decisions. And I was reading this book. And by the way, folks, I, I may do a little spoiler. Uh, so uh, you may want to fast forward well actually it's not that much of a spoiler so harsh have you ever heard of the book called no longer at ease i have not so this is by a nigerian writer and he has a trilogy of books like things fall apart uh arrow of god and no longer at ease and the third one is about uh this boy who gets uh this government job in nigeria nigeria is becoming very modern at this point and the government job that he gets uh, a lot of people are coming to him uh, to bribe him right and most people who hear about this job position they're like oh this guy's eventually going to take the bribe and the beginning of the book shares how this guy ended up taking a bribe and then the book ends up going like reverse into what led him to taking that bribe right and dude it was like he was in the beginning, it was like completely against that. He's like, I would never do something like that. That is completely ag- un- against my character. And as the book progresses, it's just these small little L's that he keeps taking. His girl is a part of a heritage that he's not allowed to marry, even though he loves her. His mom is getting super sick out of nowhere. Uh, him, he lacks money. And people just keep coming to him saying, here, take the bribe. Uh, no one will know. And around the end of the book, he finally succumbs. And uh, one of the bribes that he's taking, he's like, I'm never going to do this again. But on this particular bribe, it was a sting operation. And that's what explains the beginning of the book. So it's a fascinating book, man, where it just shows you where good people are capable of doing very dark things. See, I'll tell you what, especially when it comes to bribes, I think that a lot of people who are generally honest when they join, they have good intentions, but they get roughed up by the world in different ways. And they realize that taking bribes is, you know, playing by the rules of the existing game is what pays. I'll give you an example. Okay. This is not a personal story. This story happened to someone I know. Mm -hmm. And this person, he is, he's very well connected. I'll say, and he goes to a place and there's this lady officer. She is from the police. I'll just say from the police. 
and she's crying and th- this person is like why are you crying and this lady is an honest person right when she joined the police she was like okay i'm going to develop the country i'm not going to take any bribes i'm going to work hard etc cetera, etc cetera. and someone attempted to bribe her for something and she didn't accept it of course so the guy went and bribed her superior and her superior took the bribe you know did whatever the guy who was bribing her, him asked him to do and then publicly humiliated this officer this lady officer that what are you doing you're hindering up staff etc cetera, etc cetera. so she was crying because she was punished for not taking a bribe mhm and you know my friend is well connected so he was he handled the issue essentially and you know the guy who took the bribe is no longer a part of the force <laughs> but the the thing is that if this happens to a lot of people let's say that you don't take a bribe but then people just go and bribe your superior and then you get screamed at at some point you're going to be like okay so people are going to get bribed anyway if not me then someone else so might as well i take the bribe right oh yeah so and that's what happens in that book i was telling you about where the guy is like he feels as though everyone should be giving him props for not taking the bribes but then he has this friend who's like wait a minute that girl was throwing herself onto you just so you can approve her to get into this college and you said no and this guy's like of course that's a bribe i wouldn't have taken that and his friend instead of praising him begins to make fun of him he's like what's wrong with you man the girl is throwing herself at you like you're an embarrassment and now this guy is like questioning his own moral compass he's like am i being too much of a stickler i mean should i accept a bribe i mean is this how the new world works so it's like a bunch of these little decisions that makes him second guess himself which eventually leads him to taking the bribe in the end but the the time that uh he's thinking about not doing it again it ends up being a sting operation so as i grow up man i have a lot of praise for those people that like you know they made well, it to honest. their uh, yeah 60s and 70s never went to like got in any serious trouble i'm sure they were tempted a lot throughout those 60 70 years uh, to do some something that could have landed them in jail at least but they mm-hmm. didn't you know i think that a lot of people have good motivations when they start you know going out in the real world but a lot of them find that the world is a way is the way it is for a reason and it's sometimes too hard to fix a system and when you try to fix a system you actually get a lot of resistance from the system so the motivations people have and the motivations people have you know after experience they are different because first when people start they want to change the world but then they just want to survive in the world and now that batman quote just hits different uh, with this podcast episode you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain damn you're right i never thought of that well that's the that's the uh it's from the second batman movie uh, there's this uh, a series out which you're probably going to make fun of me because it's on netflix but it's called the making of a tyrant and it breaks down how a lot of these tyrants became tyrants saddam hussein idi amin uh, gaddafi etc a lot of these tyrants harsh they started off with noble intentions 
they believed they wanted to they had this vision for their their country and they believed only they could uh, make it happen and the other people were too unaware where you know as a guy that d doesn't know too much about tyranny you know growing up i was like oh these people just wanted to rise to power to uh slaughter people but the the documentary series frames it another way like these guys had noble intentions but eventually they became power hungry hmm so do Makes you know sense. so a lot of tyrants like you know who they first put in prison their friends the comedians it's because is it yeah it's because the comedians are um, capable of making their people uh, laugh at them and a lot of tyrants became like that because they felt powerless at a certain point and they never wanted to feel like that again and comedians are capable of turning their own people uh, against them so they're poking fun at them and the more that you are capable of uh, poking fun at someone the more that they're losing their esteem so mm. normally yeah, normally it's the jokers and the comedians that go to jail first i don't know i think it's a bad time to be a comedian nowadays you know you get you get a lot of trouble if you're a comedian yeah man actually that's a good point I'd be scared to be a comedian. Am I allowed to say this? <laughs> Am I going to get canceled by my own, my own people? How long until you have annoying comedians? Dude, that would be crazy. I know you're taking singing classes. You ever thought about you know, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm pretty funny already. I don't need yeah. to be a clown. <laughs> See, that's a clown right there. Um, no, no, but, but definitely being a comedian nowadays... I mean, what can you say without offending people? Everyone gets offended by something. Where before, when you were over here offending people, that's when you knew you were doing a good job as a comedian. Yeah, now you have to worry about getting shot or something, you know? Like, or slapped on the face. <laughs> yeah. There was this one guy who got attacked recently, right? Um, Chappelle? David something, yeah. Dave Chappelle? Mm -hmm. Dave Chappelle. Yeah, that guy, that's crazy. Like, to attack someone over a joke. Oh, yeah, Especially man. like a funny joke. Yeah. Man, in 2012, there was this there was this radio jock named Charlemagne the God where he rose to popularity because whenever he had celebrities in his show, The Breakfast Club, he would ask them whatever. A stuff that a politically correct reporters would never ask. So the comedian, or excuse me, the audience members are like, wow, this Charlemagne guy is so cool. And eventually started to get to his ego. And he didn't only ask very personal questions. He put down these artists a lot, right? And that was his shtick where he, he's that negative guy. Like if you're an A-list celebrity, you go to the breakfast club, you get challenged by Charlemagne. And if he approves of you, good. If he doesn't, oh, well, it's our entertainment. So that's how he rose to fame in 2012. But nowadays in 2022, he's a completely different guy. He's not as negative as he once was. He's always talking about mental health. And recently he did this interview with Vlad TV, where after the interview was done, Harsh, he kept telling Vlad, hey, uh, can you remove this part? Yeah, yeah, remove this part too. And this part. And Vlad was like, man, in 2012, this guy would say whatever was on his mind. Where nowadays he's over here telling me to like chop away all these parts because he may get in trouble. So it just shows you within 10 years how much things changed. 
Man, things have changed a lot in 10 years, man. It's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Like 10 years ago, you know, 10 years ago, they were at least in on the internet, they, they would say that, okay, if someone is gay, it doesn't bother you. So why do you care, right? Mm-hmm. Where you were just supposed to tolerate them. Now, if you don't enthusiastically support anyone being gay, you're homophobic or some new word they made up. So today, you know, if someone's talking about gay people, they have to say nothing wrong with that or perfectly normal or some some epithet to, you know, uh, please the gay gods or whatever. Otherwise, they get in trouble. Yeah. I mean, it's insane, man. I wonder what it's going to be like in 10 years. I mean, you actually do bring up a very good point. I mean, are comedians going to even be a thing in the future? Or are they going anonymous. to be telling... Anonymous. Anonymous. They will be. Most they'll exist, be. but anonymous. Yeah, anonymous. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, that makes me think... Now, this is the first time I've ever landed on, landed on this train of thought, but do you think that in the future there might be a decentralized social media platform that people start to use simply because of the comedy in the sense that all the good comedians would use that platform because that platform won't cancel you. And Mm. because that has all the good comedy, that's where you will go. I could see that being a thing because comedy is something that's just fundamental to humans because you never teach a baby how to laugh. They just laugh like being born in this planet so I believe it's something that's fundamental. So when you try to skew it too much, eventually something's going to break. So I, I could see that leading to the emergence of whatever you're talking about. You, you should start it for Anon Comics. Yeah, it could happen because nowadays when, you know, when people make a new platform, people don't use it. Like the network effects don't make it work. There are lots right. of new new platforms out there, right? Like, okay, we are not a censorship pro platform. We are free speech. But you don't use it because no one else uses it. Mm-hmm. So I believe that, I, I don't believe it, but like I just had this thought that if, say, a, there is a platform that attracts a bunch of like really funny people and people are like, you know, screenshotting their funny qu- quotes or whatever and putting it on other platforms, it will eventually start making so that people from other platforms will start using this one because it has all the hilarious content. Because mm-hmm. on any other platform, you can't actually say something funny. You can't make a joke because you'll get banned. Right. And I see more of, like, let's say this platform never comes to rise. I see a lot of, uh, have you ever heard of Jerry Seinfeld? Is this the guy who made that cat comic? What comic? There's a comic with a yellow or orange cat, the lazy cat. I don't remember. Garfield? Garfield. Same guy? No, no, no. I don't, I don't think Seinfeld created Garfield. I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's not the case. So Seinfeld had this um, iconic show in the 90s called Seinfeld. <laughs> it, it's known as a show about nothing. And people were initially like, this show is not going to be worth anything. Who would want to watch a show about nothing? And it became the most popular show of the 90s. He's almost uh, about to be a billionaire soon. Um, Damn, that's nice. Yeah, so his brand of comedy is very unique where he finds ordinary things and he just makes a joke about that. So it's like uh, 
he could make a long bit about just waiting in line at a restaurant. And it's that's his genius, where he's not over here uh, making jokes about dragons and fairies and stuff like that. It's like the ordinary things in life. And I, I wonder if in the future more people are going to start grasping on this type of comedy, where in the 2000s, Harsh, from 2000 to 2010, it was more so about like the racial comedy where, you know, you had the kings of uh, comedy like uh, Cedric the Entertainer, uh, Steve Harvey. You had the Latin kings of comedy where a lot of the jokes were about race. And then uh, uh, it, it got even more. Arman, I'll be back in a moment. Please continue. Yeah. So the, the jokes later on became more polarized. It became more political in nature. I wonder if there's going to be some form of self-correction where that sort of comedy is still allowed. But a lot of people are over here finding comedy in the little things like uh, no soup for you. If you've ever watched um, a Seinfeld episode, uh, this is just an example of how his brand of comedy works, where he's going to uh, a few of the uh, people in the Seinfeld show they're trying to go to this place uh, where they give really good soup. But the guy who gives the soup has this awful personality. Now, there's a pickle. It's like, do you deal with this awful personality in order to get the soup? Or do you address this guy uh, as being uh, a bad person? And most of the people, uh, they like the soup so much, where they're like, now nah, we're going to do our best to be on our good behavior. But despite trying to be in a good behavior, what happens is that this soup guy, the server, he has uh, certain things that make him really angry. So he's like, uh, no, 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 you didn't order fast enough. No soup for you. And this sort of um, this sort of stuff, it's like, huh, I can actually see this relating to my everyday life where every now and then I go to this restaurant where the food is amazing, but the service is really bad. So there's no um, like shock value in regards to this, this isn't uh, this type of comedy is not going to offend a certain brand of people. It's just all inclusive. So I wonder if this is the future where there's going to be a lot of inclusive comedy. I don't think this should be forced, though. See, th that's a problem when a lot of these companies force you into either finding this person funny or force you. Uh, into doing some kind of material. But if it's organic, if it's something that just naturally uh, comes, sort of like a Seinfeld did in the 90s, I definitely see a comedian like that blowing up in the future. Let me know whenever you're back, Harsh. Um, so while he's away, let, let me just talk about why comedy is very important. Um, one of the reasons it's very important is because it's a lot like music, where if you have average content with amazing music surprisingly I'm back okay um i'm thinking if i should finish this thought or go ahead go ahead oh i, I was just saying that comedy is a lot like music where a lot of content if you're watching it and it has amazing music that's just making you feel a certain type of way the average content becomes good content or at times great content because the music speaks to the nervous system uh, our nervous system brain loves rhythms now it's very similar with comedy where in toastmasters uh like i had this one particular member who's who was hilarious and he told me he's like man if you get someone to laugh 
it doesn't matter what you say next. You have their attention. So something about comedy is primal. But while you were gone, Harsh, I was just saying that um, Seinfeld's brand of comedy, I, I could see making a rise because it's all inclusive. There's no particular group of people that get offended in regards to it. it it's so like, it's, it's shared experiences that anyone can relate to. Give it time, give it time. Yeah. So also I, become controversial, problematic, or some like whatever phobic, yeah. <laughs> See, yeah, you could man. make jokes about robots today, and maybe 30 years down the line, they're going to be robotophobic or something. So, yeah. And that's where creativity can be hindered. Especially, I like, think or, that yeah. the. So go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. I was, I was going to. No, no, no. Go ahead. I think the solution is just anonymity or some kind of situation where you don't get impacted if you piss people off because no matter what you say if your audience is big enough someone's not gonna like it mm. and for cares, most of man? there's always gonna say like so there's always gonna be someone whining they're gonna be like whoa, whoa, whoa. so there was this one time like i was writing this thread harsh and i, I just kept saying he the entire time <laughs> because a lot of the, well, a lot of the tweets that I write are a, a message to my younger self. It just allows me to always feel creative. And I was just writing he, he, like, and if he is capable of doing this, then he will be able to overcome speech anxiety. It was a public speaking thread. And some person writes, why were you writing he the entire time? You can't write she? No, like, it's an extra uh, syllable. Yeah. And then um, there was another girl that checked her. She was like, who gives a fuck? And I was like, thank you. You know, and both of them followed me, but it's like, you're always going to piss someone off. Got to build Man, a thick skin. That she, he thing is crazy. People are just pussies nowadays. I'm telling you. Yeah. Like he or she, like, imagine you're in the stream of consciousness. You're just writing a thread. <laughs> and you're like, oh, he or she, he or she is like, get over it. You know? Well, the person, I find it a bit annoying, you know, when people use she instead of he. Because I'm used to reading he everywhere. So when she shows up, you know, when, when someone says he in like a literature text, I assume it can be anyone, you know, male or female. But when someone says she, then in my head, okay, this is particularly a female. And when they use she for like a general thing, mm -hmm. it just sounds off to me. I don't know why. So, so yeah, I'm not so a big fan of people doing that stuff, man. It's just annoying. Yeah, well, I, I do see a lot of people do it here where, like, let's say someone buys a ship for the first time, they'll name it, they're not going to name their ship after a dude. The most likely they'll name it like, <laughs> uh, they'll name it like Mary or something like that. So, yeah, ships are supposed to be female, right? Like, this is she instead of it. Yeah, so my first ever uh, car, I don't know why, but I named it Lexi. Uh, it was a um, burgundy Honda Civic. And uh, my best friend at the time, he had a black Honda Civic, and he, he named his uh, car Roxy. So Lexi and Roxy. Now, next year, there's a sorority that crosses. Two of the girls in the sorority, one's name is Lexi, the other one's name is Roxy. So they think we named our cars. <laughs> What's the, what a coincidence. <laughs> Dude, sometimes these coincidences happen where I'm just like, how like it's like nature has a sense of humor 
<laughs> See, coincidences to outsiders, they'll hear it. They're like, oh, it's just one of those things. But when you're experiencing a coincidence like that, where I, by myself, named the car Lexi, but for some strange reason, this guy by himself, he, um, we didn't really know each other when we named our cars. He just named it Roxy. And it just so happened that these two people are actually people <laughs> that are going to cross and they're going to know us. Like, what's the likelihood of that happening? Yeah, very, very low, man. Crazy. Yeah. What's the biggest coincidence that's happened to you? Man, there were a few, man. But one of them, uh, like, just like a, a somewhat recent one. I was watching back on a couple of my YouTube videos, Harsh, and I noticed I look very, very different in some videos where one of the videos, like, I have very short hair and somewhat of a beard. And the other video, I have very long hair and no beard. And I'm like, man, these two individuals don't even look like the same person. They look like cousins or something, right? So I'm mm -hmm. over here just thinking about this. And normally what happens is I watch my YouTube videos uh, after the gym just to see what I could improve. So I just watched two of those videos where I'm like, man, these guys look different. Then after I'm done watching it on the TV, I come to my laptop. Once I turn on my laptop, dude, it is the fucking spookiest thing. Me with the long hair and no beard. That video is the first video recommended on my uh, like uh like on my YouTube channel. Um I I'm trying to figure it out. That's the first one. And then the next one is like the one that I was just watching. So it's it's it, like this is a different, completely different um um profile as well oh okay I, yeah it, it's a different profile so because i have uh, one for mine and another one for business so it, it's a few things man like you actually have to be there and it's like well, what the hell like i was just thinking about that and then boom it just happened you hmm. i had this weird coincidence i don't know i don't know what it is but it kind of bothered me for a couple of hours okay uh-oh so, so this was i was seeing this chick and I'm not going to say her name. So let me come up with a random name. Okay. Let's say her name was Queen Elizabeth. Not exactly. That's way too much. Wait. Pick any name. Okay. Is so I was seeing this chick. No. Mm -hmm. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming we get really popular and everyone watches us in the future, but we have yeah. no idea to know for sure. Yeah. But uh, so I, I, I break up with this chick. And the same day I break up, I come home. And my father is watching a movie on the TV. And the movie has this line, okay? So I just watched like two minutes of this movie when I just went to go and meet my father. And the movie is talking about the same chick. And the conversation is like, you should have never broken up with, you know, the chick's name. She was what? a great chick. <laughs> like, <"Whoa>, what? what? <laughs> And there was like a two-minute conversation in the movie, which was trying to, you know, get this guy to, you know, go and get back to the chick and why that chick is great. Like, wait, <laughs> what? Like, Why'd on. you break up with her, man? Why'd you break up with her? <laughs> yeah, same name. And God, that's spooky, bro. I just broke up with her. Like, I just got home. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Why'd you break up with her? Can you share that? I had my reason. Okay. 
I think the the bigger reason for breaking up with her was that I didn't have anything in common with her except for the fact that we both liked having fun. Mm. So no like no conversation material. Did you get conversation material but it's the interests don't match, right? Mm. So it's not exactly a great partner for you long term but you know you like fun she likes fun you're young and you're together but it's not a good decision to invest more time in that relationship and this was around the time where i was getting really really busy with business mm-hmm. so i had to let go of that let go of her but it was weird when i come home and on the tv you hear this and for a second you're like okay what did you think for a second that was a sign for one second i thought that but then i thought okay that's bullshit god let's not be stupid Mm-hmm. and that was it where it yeah, did because, like yeah because when you look back in coincidences you're like ah oh, man that's bullshit uh, whatever but when it's actually happening at the moment you're like what the hell like it's it's like someone's watching you it's like you're in the truman show man i told that story wrong by the way like the the coincidence one that you told me what i wanted to say i'm not going to bore you with the details was that every morning i watch myself on youtube over a series of like days to weeks and there were two particular videos throughout those weeks where it just stuck out in my head how different i looked so it's not like um immediately after like i saw myself it's just like the day that i had the insight on how different i looked on those two videos that's like like over some time i got the same thing it's difficult to explain too because a lot of stuff in regards to intuition and stuff it's difficult to just express through words uh, it's something that's more experiential at that moment and it it spooks you it rattles you and it's one of those things that everyone has like everyone that's watching uh, this right now they're probably like yeah yeah i had one of those mom- moments where it's like very very like what the hell and i'm like explain it they'll be like dang it's going to take me some time to explain it because it's it's experiential you know you know now that you mentioned this arman i have to ask do you have you met your great grandfather my great grandfather no what about the guy before him just my grandpa the one before your great grandfather you haven't do you even know his name yeah. Great great grandfather no no great great grandfather no I don't you don't know the I, name right I, you, I haven't met him yeah you don't you haven't met him you don't know the name same with me I don't know the name I don't know how he was what he thought how he behaved but the our great great grandchildren they will not have this issue they will know us in person with these videos and you know with the content we create. and they will get to know how we thought how we behave how our personalities were and it's it's an interesting isn't it it is where until now for across millennia you had no conception of how your great grandfather or anyone before him was but today you can like today let's say from now onwards maybe even 20 generations down the line they will be able to see you they'll be able to you know they'll have pictures and instagram photos and videos etc 
of the actual person from a young age to a much older age and i'm not sure how they would behave with that information but it's an entirely different experience for a person to know how say their great 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 grandfather was and what their life lessons were how they thought it's completely different well that's a very very good point because i wrote a tweet a while back like imagine if aristotle had a blog benjamin franklin had a youtube channel or genghis khan had an instagram but you know I, now i'm actually just picturing myself in that or it's like oh well, damn like yeah like people 5000 years from now will technically be able to see me in crystal clear form and and you as well they could hear you and you could be like oh that's me yeah that's it's freaky right well actually you're going to be passed away by then so <laughs> your uh, great great grandson can tell his son hey that that's your great 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 grandpa <laughs> it's mm. a mind fuck when you think about it yeah it is but if you think about the average guy okay let's say let's take the average instagram user now imagine that you find pictures of your great great grandmother dancing on instagram and being slutty <laughs> you really took it like from one <laughs> i for some reason i thought you were going to keep this idea going of us like 5000 years now and then you, you you immediately show the dark side <laughs> So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean it definitely is, man, because we often talk about generational wealth, like where you're over here passing down wealth to your great 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 grandkids, where I don't even know if that's a good idea. Like you're giving it to like you're giving 100 million dollars to a kid like four generations from now. Does he have the work ethic? Does he have the grit? But what people don't talk about enough is giving generational um ideas generational wisdom and that's what content is meant to be it's not meant to be where you get online and you start to act like a idiot to be like yeah look at me like me retweet me it's supposed to be some sort of wisdom that you're sharing that you can hopefully pass down to the next generation and be like these are all the stuff i learned the hard way uh if you want you can engage with this otherwise you don't have to i think that's a much better idea than just giving a kid that uh making them skip the process and just giving them a bunch of money. Hmm. Like where I'm trying to say is generational wisdom beats generational wealth. That's true. Most people lose generational wealth in three generations. Have you ever heard of um like do they have Papa John's over there? They do, but I've never tried it. So Papa John's is a founder, uh John Schnatter is a billionaire now. and um he has three kids and he was on an interview and they were like john how, how much money are you giving the kids you're probably giving them millions and millions of your dollars right and he's like nope i give each of them 1 million shares which is coming out to a 5% cash flow a year so that's $50,000 and they're like that's it no aren't don't you give them millions and millions of dollars and mr papa john himself was like because they haven't proved to me that they know how to handle that kind of immense wealth. I don't want them to just skip the process and get all this money and be some sort of country club bum. 
So I like that thing because you just giving a bunch of money to someone who has zero wisdom. What are they going to do? They're probably going to spiral their own life out of control. Man, you should read this book. It's called Titan by John. It's it's the biography of John D. Rockefeller, mm-hmm. and he understood this problem and he really tried to raise his kids so that they would be able to handle the money. So when the kids grow up, they actually are not aware of how rich their family is. Like they think that you know we're lower middle class or something. They have no concept that Rockefeller is the richest guy in the world and his name means a lot. And one of his daughters, she's trying to buy something, and she is like, "Okay, I'm gonna give you a check." And the check, the guy who's taking the check, he's like, "Wait, I can't just take a check. The check might be stale or whatever. I need if you can get a New York businessman to watch for you, then you know I will take your money." Then she's like, "Okay, my father is a New York businessman. He will watch for you." And this guy's like, "What's his name?" and she's like his name is John D Rockefeller and the shopkeeper is like stunned he's like blown out of his mind mm-hmm. and like wait your father is John D Rockefeller and this girl is surprised like wait why are you shocked like why uh, is that relevant and apparently it is so the trick the girl doesn't know that her father is really rich for she's living like a regular person The same thing with his son by the way like his son mm-hmm. his son's name is also John D Rockefeller his name is John D Rockefeller Jr so on his checkbook it's John D Rockefeller and he would he said that people would you know refuse to take his check because they would say that okay I would I've taken checks from you know Winston Churchills and everything <laughs> but I'm not stupid enough to take a check from John D Rockefeller because I know that guy is different from some kid and he never understood that joke until much later in his life i'm surprised the kids never became aware how powerful the dad was because they were very sheltered like they 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 went to these religious places and you know they only played with the children that his father preselected and they were not allowed to waste money etc but mm. That would not happen in today's era. <laughs> One Google no, search it did, and <laughs> it didn't particularly work in the sense that some of them did end up spoiled anyway, like not not spoiled in the sense that they're blowing money, but spoiled in the sense that they did not they did not learn how to grow money. They just managed the Rockefeller empire. They didn't like multiply it. Mm. So interesting. It, I'm not sure if it worked so well as he had hoped. like his daughters would keep on coming back to him and telling him okay i need more we need we need stuff in the house and you know we need better curtains etc cetera, etc cetera. and he would give the daughter money and the guy the, the his son he was he was an extremely religious figure who was worried about being pious all the time and he didn't want to get involved in any controversy he wanted to be a good christian and he was mostly focused on giving money away with charities but from what i understand his son did not multiply the business manifold like his father did well that's the difference between a money manager and a asset builder like some people they actually know how to build assets and then they can manage money but if you never make someone build the asset in the first place all they're doing is they're just playing with numbers and they don't really understand what the numbers symbolize 
See, I'll tell you from my experience, I think it is somewhat genetic in the sense that how bold you are is is a bit genetic. I'll tell you what. So for example, if you take me, I have extremely high tolerance for risk. I, ha- I can take extreme amounts of risk and not feel any stress whatsoever. Like I remember I had, I, I remember losing, a, like I've lost maybe half my net worth because Bitcoin has fallen a lot. And it doesn't bother me at all. Like I don't even care about it. But mm. I have friends who've invested something stupid, like $200 in Bitcoin and they lost a hundred bucks on it or, you know, 150 bucks, whatever. And they were so stressed out about it. Like they were like 150 bucks loss. I lost so much of my money. Like, so what? Who cares? Make more money. <laughs> well, so, well, this is the unique thing where one, one person is highly risky in one side. They're highly conservative in another side. So it's uh, you're very risky in business, but you're very conservative in terms of you know, the traditional values, right? Like with family life. I, I agree with you there, but I think the reason is that the traditional values is why I'm here in the first place. Right. But here's the thing. I've noticed the opposite where someone is like, no, 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 the business is very risky, right? But they're in this toxic freaking relationship. Like their partner, like they cheated on him multiple times. Like, oh, trust me, she won't do it again or he won't do it again, blah, blah, blah. And it's like super risky in this side, like the personal life, but super conservative when it comes down to business, like no risks at all. So it's funny how people work like that. It's like they're like walking batteries where whenever you're seeing someone like super risky in one side, you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's super risky here. But then other sides, they're very conservative. Where I'm, I'm very much like you, where I'm very uh, like risky with business. I'm like, I'm like, let, let's go for it. Let, let's pull the trigger. Let's make it happen. But in terms of my personal life, I'm a very, very like low key conservative guy in terms of personal life i don't have that many friends i'm not going to like parties and like you know like guys look at me i'm very like laid back in that regards Hmm. you mentioned a good point i agree with you there people tend to have contrasting personalities and i think it comes down to balancing chaos and order right you need order in one place to handle chaos in the other side Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you have a wild personal life, you need some kind of stability in your income side, you know, to be able to handle that. Versus if you have a wild business side, then you need stability in your home side to be able to handle it. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the phrase weekend warrior? No, tell me more. It's like a someone who's working a job in the days. But on the weekend, they're over here wilding out, getting drunk. They're basically starting Monday, waiting for the weekend. So it's like uh, you're seeing this happen like straight up. Like the job, like the nine to five, is a very conservative. Most likely they're sitting in the cube uh, working, a very conservative. But on the weekend, it's highly volatile, very risky. So, I mean, just like that, I've noticed that with a lot of people. I think a lot of people are just frustrated with their jobs and, you know, the wild side, quote unquote, is just a way to manage it. Mm. But yeah, I'm not sure if that's the right analogy. I think those guys are just trying to find a way to fix their frustration. Right. I could see that.
Arman, I have to get some dinner. It's 12 a.m. here. Oh, okay. Man, we, we went on for a while. These episodes just fly by. Yeah, they're a lot of fun to do. Yeah. I hope they're fun for you guys to watch as well. Do we have any reader questions for this time or listener questions? Sorry. We actually do have one. Do you mind sticking out uh, yeah, until yeah. we answer Let's that? Go ahead. Okay. okay, so we have one question. Um, I don't have the name. Do you have the name? I think it was RK something, right? Okay. Um, hello, brothers. I love your work and eagerly wait for the new episodes. My question, I'm 24 and work in private equity. I have strong ambition for establishing a business. It keeps me awake at night. My job is demanding and mentally draining, uh, punching numbers, updating sheets, etc. I absolutely hate it. You know how long the working hours are in the Indian corporates and all that for a mere 46,000 in hand monthly. In all this, I don't get to work on my side hustle and learn something new. And trust me when I say this, I'm not making an excuse. I usually end up uh, sleep deprived, missing workouts and stained in my eyes. The only quality time uh, to work I get is at the weekends. Here are the proposed solutions according to me. I quit my job and go full-time on my online thing or I get a less demanding and time-consuming job and continue my online hustle by side. What would you recommend? Also, I am open to other solutions if you have any. Thanks in advance. I'll let you answer this one first. But for reference, 46,000 is 550 US dollars. Per month? Yeah, per month. What, what, like in cost of living, uh, is that good? Or is that no, not no, 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 no. Okay. It's, it's not good. It's not good. I mean, it's okay. It's good for if you're single and you're like young, but well, see, that's my thing. Like, if you're like, like, what's the? Do you have a standard amount someone should be making at age twenty four? Just so I could answer the question a bit better. I don't. I, I, it can give you a standard, but it really depends on where you live. You know, like India is very variable like that. My thing is, um, I won't recommend. Ju- fully quitting your job and going full full time on the online thing uh, unless you have a proof of concept like there should be something that you figure out that's working and that takes some time where e- even some form of learning takes a little bit of time where even on the weekends you can educate yourself you can practice with these different models see what works for you i can't really tell if you have something like that where you're like this is something that i know is going to work I have a proof of concept where I at least sold one to three units in regards to this, or I sold one to three clients in regards to this. So if you don't have anything uh, and you quit your job, from my opinion, you're just going to be like, okay, well, let me speed up my learning process. And you're not going to find what works for you. So here's like what I would say. Have some sort of job. I mean, even weekends, like that's how a lot of people get started. Just weekends, they educate themselves or, you know, like, I don't know what time you get out of work. What time do people normally get out of work there? Like five, six? I think he mentioned an Indian corporate. So I'm assuming he starts work at 9.30 and ends work at 9.30. 9.30 p.m.? Yeah. 12 hour days every day of the week? Yeah. He said Indian corporate. So that's my guess. And to top it off, he's probably leaving his house at 8.30 and coming back at 10.30. Are you guys, are you guys like, if you guys get your 
Actually, no, that's not a good question. Because um, a lot of people in the American corporates, they work on their side hustle during their job. So a lot of them, they get their job. That is quick. possible. That is possible here, yeah. Yeah, man. If you could do that, bro, like, I try to do that. Like, when, uh, so I, I would recommend keeping the job you currently have, trying to squeeze in some learning, figure out the, the model or models for online business that works for you. And then once you have the proof of concept, double down and grow it some more. So that's my advice. Okay, so if you ask me, 550 bucks is bullshit, right? It's it's almost no money. And you can make 550 bucks online really fast, especially in a month. Like to make 550 bucks a month, it's going to take you three to six months of effort. You're starting from nothing, like having zero knowledge. You can start making 550 bucks a month in three months. So if you have some money in the bank, I would recommend just quitting your job because your job isn't paying you anything. It's paying you 550 bucks a month, which is a joke. If you run a decent online business, you'll be making that in a day. So my advice, if you can, if you have a couple of months of living expenses, just quit your job. On the other hand, if you have a job that's not so demanding where you can actually work on your business while you're at work, that's a safer option. So that's something for you to decide what works for you. But online business is the way to go. And you can get the art of Twitter. My guide, 550 bucks is really joke money, right? You'll be making that in three, four months max. So either my guide or pick any other business. Like 550 bucks is so small that you can replace that income by any business, even something dumb like drop shipping. So get any <laughs> <laughs> so get any any of these courses from anyone who's done it before, okay? Like it could be something like you know you're you're doing copywriting or cold emailing or whatever you any simple service or any simple business and just do that. You'll be making five free bucks a month in three months or less, probably. 550 bucks a month is so small that I'm telling you, it's a joke. So don't worry about it. Online, you can make a lot of money. 550 bucks is nothing. And you'll be making a ton of money if you put in the time. But to put in the time, you need the time, right? So for that, you might have to quit your job if you can't you know, work at your job. So that would be my advice. It sounds risky, and it is. But what you're getting paid is bullshit. Interesting. And if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to post it in the comment section. And if anyone else has any questions, um, uh, we make sure that we read it and we'll answer your question uh, for the next episode. So uh, feel free to post whatever. All right, brothers, have a great day and let us know what you thought in the comments below. Hit the like button, do the blah, blah YouTube sequence. Subscribe to the podcast and bye-bye. All right. Take care.